gentlemen welcome 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 it's good to see you guys and what are we doing here today we're here to make masculinity divine again and i'm really excited to introduce my friends here we got benjamin balderson we got john mcgee we got gabriel slick dissident we got alan marcus and we got joshua the branch good to see you guys i'm really excited to chat about all things masculinity divine masculinity and all the different threads and directions that we can go into here and I just want to open up by reading a quote. This is a very peculiar book in a very peculiar niche in the quote unquote manosphere. It's called Bronze Age Mindset. And this is a story that reminds me of Hercules. I just want to read this to you guys and then we can go from there. It says, in the Stone Age, man appears very strong shoulders with a club in his hand. He is believed by these people to be a son of some god, of a mortal woman who cucked her husband with a god. As a child, he already displayed superhuman strength. When he grows, he goes into the deepest wild to fight great cave lions. And he emerges from, from these caves with the skin of every lion on his back. The lions had been eating and working terror into these people, but now he is wearing this terror on his shoulders. He carries the lion mane on his, on his, on his head, the lion pelt on his back, and a great club in his, in his hand. This man comes to be worshipped by the people. His progeny becomes lions of kings, of Sparta, and many other places. What was his act of foundation? He slaughtered monsters. He made the seaways known to man and tamed the rock face. But don't forget the lion skin atop of his shoulders. This was the lion of Nemea. Do you understand what nemesis is? There is within nature a great purgative function. Think about a lake. If there is an overpopulated lake of reptiles, when there's some type of surplus, eventually this will trigger a response. A monster will be born. A lizard, many times the size of the other reptiles, will be born, who will deal out great destruction and cull the entire lake. The Greeks believed in this great power and worshipped its justice. In the Bible, it appears as allegory of the flood, which in fact refers to the irrepressible spirit of the sea peoples and the divine justice that they brought to cities whose life had grown pointless and a great ugliness on the world. You bring a lion, a lion cub into this house and eventually it will become a priest of doom when it reaches age. This irrepressible force, this natural, divine calling is what we are up against here. And I'm curious what that sparked within you guys. And so, Joshua, I want to thank you again. I uh, want you to maybe go into what came up for you. And also, just to point this out, I mean, you had a great idea of doing this, this uh, masculinity stream to talk about what we face and what we see in our culture. And I'm really curious how you would like to begin this conversation tonight. Well, thank you again. Um, I have to say what triggered this was growing a beard because I, you know, would always shaved, not necessarily to conform, but um, just because it seemed inconvenient, you know, or something like that. <clears throat> and it wasn't until I kind of, you know, the weather was getting cold and I was just kind of being lazy, really, I guess, in a way. And what I realize now is I was really just in tune. 
because I was observing the wildlife and noticed the deer uh, were getting antlers at this time. And I thought, wait a second, is a beard antlers on us? You know, because it's made of the same thing. I mean, we look at it and it's pliable and it's hair. So we don't really think of it being the same thing. But keratin and biotin, all those things are the same constituents. And a horn is living inside. It's a cuticle and it's, a, you know, so it's more like our fingernails in a sense. Right. So I just think it's interesting that, you know, the horns are shed during a certain period of time in the year, too. And so uh, that seems to coincide with the sunlight, you know, as the sun begins in Aries, you know, they don't have horns, but then toward the uh, fall, they start to get their horns and then they have them through the winter. And I'm, you know, I'm just really interested in that cycle. And I think that that might be the divine masculine cycle where women have a monthly cycle, a monthly cycle each month in the 28 day period. I think men are probably operating on a yearly type cycle like that. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And then when I made that connection, which reminds me of that Jägermeister emblem, right? Um, And once I made that connection, then I realized, oh, okay, so maybe there's some like wisdom to be gained by growing this beard out and just kind of experiencing that, right? And and in times past, I may not have been able to grow a full beard, but it seems as though it's so easy and simple just to grow like a full beard without even trying. And, and I started contemplating all these things that I would have never thought about otherwise. And then I began to feel like the wind in my beard and things like that. And I was like, wow, you know, all these weird experiences. And I, I began to understand that maybe as I, I'm aging, I'm 37 now, that as I get closer to that magic age of 42 which is like when you're allowed to start studying kabbalah and zohar and stuff like that like there's something that happens to your mind and i think it's because of like when you see these deer walk around with the huge racks of horns you know it's like something happens to where you gain like a density of testosterone or something like that and i think it changes your mind but that's when certain fruit can start to form and i think that that is kind of emblematic of when we see the old man with the beard, you know, that's that archetype where he has wisdom as well. So I think that's why we kind of associate horns with wisdom is because in a, in a person though, it's more like a beard uh, instead of the horns, you know? So I had all these epiphanies and I thought, Oh, wow. You know, so I wanted to have a stream of bearded men (laughs) talking about the divine masculine because I figured we all had different backgrounds and different experiences with it. And of course, we all can agree. I think that it's in jeopardy, um, no matter how we individually define it, we can all sense that, you know, I think so. Um, and, you know, I've always been a fan of nature, how you can look at it and study it. And uh, you're mentioning uh, July earlier. I don't know if we were recording yet, but um, that's the time of the buck rabbit which is the male rabbit. So there's another virility fertility type symbol. And uh, so, yeah, just, I would just like to spend some time maybe focusing on all the, you know, different esoteric qualities, the physical things, biochemistry. I mean, we got a list here um, that will probably be hitting on several different topics, but um, but yeah, I, I tried to pull together, (laughs) 
like the uh, Space Jam Dream Team so we could play a game against the space aliens. Brilliant, brilliant. Good to see you tonight. And I'm really happy because uh, you brought up a lot of cool points already. But, uh, you know, we're we're barely getting started here. And uh, it's exciting to think about, um, you know, how we can be of service to the community. Uh, ladies and gentlemen listening, you know, we can all appreciate the divine masculine. And of course, we're going to be talking about the divine, fem the divine feminine as we go on tonight. But it's going to be nice to uh, look at some of these esoteric angles like you said and um mr balderson what do you think about all this so far what's on your mind my friend i i enjoyed what joshua said i always enjoy joshua um i i found that very interesting uh the age thing uh and there are a lot of different uh cultures that uh until you're about 40 you know right around 40 things don't really uh settle the same um i would say that the winter time is uh the fe is the high feminine in my opinion and them antlers uh that's the winter time is more of your uh, uh more of your etheric time your feminine time when you sit around and you think and uh uh <clears throat> you plan because you can't be out doing you know um and so when uh, the shaman in most of your uh, northern and your uh, European cultures, the shaman will wear uh, the antlers. And that's specifically because it's to try and get that connection to the etheric realm, which is always coming into its height uh, at winter. You know, when winter time's beginning at the end of fall there is when you're looking at. Uh, and so I just thought that was all really great. Um, and I just can't tell if it's a girl or a dude without a beard anyway, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, is that like your first step to becoming transsexual? I don't, I don't know. I... <laughs> well, that's actually an interesting topic because wasn't Odin known as being like a, I don't want to say a blend of the two sexes necessarily, but wasn't it common in Norse to, for like, he was trying to access the women's feminine magic energy, which he could only do with runes, right? He couldn't do it otherwise. Uh, not not with the runes. So the runes is Galder, and Galder is the masculine side of things. The masculine side of things is always very structured, <laughs> you know, very step-by-step. Uh, uh, step. You do this thing, you expect this result. Where the feminine side is called... Uh, scythe or scyther and that's chaotic that's more the monkey's paw type situation where hey i want this result and you have and the step-by-step -step part in between is kind of well how it happens it happens and so uh yeah odin practiced both sides of the magic and uh in the uh exoteric understanding then that leads a lot of people into believing then that Odin practiced a lot of feminine things. But I also uh, work on uh, the scyther side of things. And I don't run around dressing like a woman. I don't do a lot of really feminine things. That's just, you know, it's just an, an exoteric understanding 
of delving into the feminine side of things instead of doing it in the masculine side. So we're kind of doing that when we study the occult, basically, in a sense. Yes. Yes. So, Mr. Slick Dissident, uh, when Joshua and Balderson were just talking, I was thinking about Hermes because Hermes is another figure that could represent this uh, hermaphroditic, this union of uh, masculine and feminine. I was curious if you had any thoughts on um, Hermes in in relation to this uh, weave about Odin that Balderson has just brought up as well. What do you think? I definitely think uh, part of that, uh, what is called androgynous, is essentially, you know, being able to see through the other person's eyes. You know, the meeting in the middle, the the visica Pisces, you know, the common common mutual ground. You know, I think that's uh, that's very much the. Uh, the redeeming value of that concept. And a lot of people get all, you know, uneasy in their britches about it, but, you know, we all, we all see, you know, through, through each other's eyes uh, and being able to see the way that a woman sees the world is a very helpful thing. Uh, if you want to hunt one down and keep one for yourself, you gotta, you gotta think like, you gotta think like your prey, so to say, you know, uh, so yeah, that's how you that's how you bring home the bacon. <laughs> you gotta you gotta know what flavor bacon she likes. You have to see their view. Absolutely, yeah. like you said, you your my wife doesn't like bacon. She likes wacky steaks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want me to open up? Now is this going to become a talk about marriage counseling and how to mm -hmm. pick up a woman, or is this going to focus on the divine? masculine i think my answer is going to be quite clear the divine masculine is one that isn't peacocking and chasing after women i think what is not divine masculine then is that man which is seeking pleasure and a hedonistic lifestyle beyond uh his means and before he's worked for it there's a time to rest and a vacation period but for those who haven't worked for it and they've spent that time just vacationing and thinking they're going to retire before the age of whatever 24 because they're a crypto investor or something there there's a there's a realistic aspect to maturity and if we're talking about the patriarchs in the bible and the paintings of presidents and their masculine features we live in a very visual culture where everyone has a camera, multiple cameras probably in all of their pockets and their Jenko jeans and their fashions and whatever they're wearing at the time, their fanny packs, they're holding a purse, man purse, a, pur a purse or something to that effect. You know, they, they wear the, they wear the fashions of the day. And that's really not having to do with masculine or feminine. Those are, other decisions so we're not going to get caught up on whether men can wear high heels or not because they wore them at a certain period of time divine masculine is outside of time so there's a painting by michelangelo i think painting and art is a very masculine thing to create something and to reflect beauty a lot of men today will focus on creating anime art and rule 34 and hentai and all this sort of like feminized 
stuff and it's well hold on there man you're not quite frank frazetta yet so so don't uh try and model women and that sort of thing so again back to the basics and the idea of 42 and, and reaching a mature age so this would be the message to young men who are in this place of confusion and depression and nihilism to think oh you know i I, you know it's just not even worth living i should just end it now well you know maybe your your brain hasn't fully developed yet i think that's part of the masculinity is waiting for your brain to develop understanding the physiology and the anatomy of the body that's reading the instruction manual you know if this is a bible study they'd say we'll read the bible if this was the dr oz show he'd say i've got a book and you can read it and oprah will give it to you if you appear on her show and this sort of thing it's like reading the manual to understand something is a very masculine thing to do wanting to understand the philosophy and then having the maturity to realize that there are multiple points of view to not settle upon the first thing you read, which is leading to my final point in my little monologue here with myself, which is me standing on stage and puffing myself up and wanting wanting to be in the spotlight, right? That's (laughs) sort of a, maybe that's more of a feminine trait. Who who can say, you know, but the the point being that, you know, you, you, you gotta, you got to go through the steps. You have to reach that age of maturity and for some people they're like well you know 18 yes. 21 i can drink alcohol i'm a man now you know i oh i've slept with a woman i've slept with three women i've slept with 10 and certain you know making marks on your bedpost well those are not indicators of maturity age is just a number you have to go through the steps the trials the tribulations and those rituals to reach whatever it is so it's it's a goal i think divine masculinity is a goal to be achieved and not something that you check off of a list because you you put an ice bucket over your head and you jumped in for a polar plunge and then you snapchatted it and instagrammed it and made sure everybody knew what you were doing every moment of your life Hmm. some heavy hitter points right there longer i know you mr mcgee i have a quick question for you. And this is something that we had touched on. And it's funny that Alan brought up the fact that um, divine masculinity is outside of time. And yet here we are in the 3D world where masculinity does follow some kind of cycle. Every November, we have no shave November on the exoteric side and no nut November on the esoteric side. What do you make of all that? Honestly, it seems like something to do with their body chemistry around that time of year. It's just, it matures. And if you squander your fluids, I think that you miss out on that maturity. And it seems like both of these subjects are like popularized type of things to do every single year. But I don't think people really get the underlying, uh, I don't know if achievement is the word, but what you get if you do participate in these things. Now, he was. uh, He said something, uh, Mr. Allen, he said something about we're not going to touch like on like 
high heels and stuff like this. But I, I think that like, that's honestly something that we should touch on though as well, because as a man, and I would say the average man, we're attracted to certain traits in a woman and these, the feminists, they don't reflect any of these traits. You know what I mean? Physically. Very interesting. I think it's uh, important to touch on both sides. You know what I mean? Mm. Not just the meta, not just like the, the esoteric side, but also the exoteric, you know? Well, that's interesting because for instance, I've often wondered why people may cross dress. Like, do they enjoy trying to gain attention or something? And, and, and if they do, there's some like weird intrinsic dopamine hit thing going on. So I sometimes wonder about that because women do have like the inherent quality of attraction that men don't seem to have. For instance, like I think most everybody could agree that a woman's beautiful, but not everybody would necessarily agree with that a man is beautiful, even if he is the most beautiful man. Because I think inherently women have that quality of beauty that even women can appreciate, whereas men are like, wow, I'm not attracted to a man. I don't care how pretty he is. <laughs> so I think yeah. it's interesting <clears throat> how some... I mean, I, I don't agree with that at all. Oh, okay. Well, how so? Like, you've never been in a room with a dude that's just a raging stud beast and you don't know it? Well, I can recognize like, him as being Wow, dude, you were a beast. Is like, <laughs> like, you, you don't immediately feel that that dude's just a beast? You're like, you know, and I understand there's a real, because we're such a, 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 a neutered society that, and so many of them are closet homosexuals that they've got, that there's a lot of uh, homosexual fear, but I don't. Like I've, I've showered with probably 10,000 different dudes. Like I've done all kinds of different things. Like this wasn't things where guys were uncomfortable with it at different points in times. Like when you're in the army, you're not worried about, yeah. you know, a <laughs> dude doing something that, oh man. And when a dude is, when a dude's a beast, you know it. Every other dude knows it. Every chick in the room wants him. Every dude in the room wants to be him. Yep. Well, I guess what I was meaning is like more so when a man chooses to look like a woman because he knows that he can capture that type of attention that he wouldn't be able to get maybe if he were just a man, for instance. And that's more what I was explaining, not so much the other. But um, but he, that, he wouldn't have gotten that attention as a man because he's not enough of a man. So well, yeah, he chooses I mean. to, so he's to like, do an alternative, right? Like right, a spectrum I get what you're that he's kind of sliding himself on yeah. to kind of like capture that adoration. Right. But I, and by that same token, I think that maybe men can exude some other type of energy, but it maybe it's hard to put a, the finger on it, so to speak. But I just feel like women kind of sometimes embody that. Maybe it's the sit here that you're we were kind of talking about. There's like mystery or something, and some type of an allure. It reminds me of like the hair bands of the '80s. The glam rockers, yeah, and I had heard something <laughs> earlier today talking yeah, the about the, the Kardashians being a very um, visual aspect of, of our culture, knowing what a Kardashian looks like with the cosmetic lines, and of course, yeah. the Olympic medalist Bruce Jenner being part of that family, 
And the theory goes that I was listening oh, to okay. has to do with him being in front of all these cameras, not receiving a lot of screen time and attention. And then as soon as he sat down and said, do my makeup, put oh, a dress man. on me, he well, started to get more attention. And then he continued to go with that and allowing them. So that's sort of a, a boyhood thing yeah. where boys are like, I don't know how to relate to women, but if I, you know, let, I've got long hair and they're like, can I braid your hair? Well, yeah. I mean, I can let a girl touch me. She's going to braid my hair. Oh, you got nice cheekbones. I could put a little, little blush on there, you know, and she starts to do your makeup. So now she's like, you know, you're hanging out with the girl. You're getting to, to know her, but. Uh, you know, what's really yeah. odd, Alan. Mm -hmm. Bruce Jenner and I went to the same high school and he received accolades. There were um, banners of his successes of Trek. Like he was a, uh, a, As a male I athlete think. yes yes so he achieved some type of greatness um at least in his uh peer group with you know the other athletes and and yet yet sure. you're uh you know kind of hitting at this core this core issue here like um right we uh maybe we're talking about some kind of boundary that it's, uh, it's the divine masculine being uh this object this focus this goal that you have towards achieving and throughout your life there's going to be stages and tests and trials and you might you might be swayed by something you might face a temptation that might bring you down to the ground and you might hit rock bottom and you might start drinking and finding coping mechanisms and drugs and alcohol and all these things that get you off your path and away from your purpose so now gabriel you had brought up the sirens and when alan brings up temptation temptation the siren song is what i immediately think about in a mythological sense and i'm curious um how would you start to weave in this uh this it could be feminine temp temptation maybe that's the uh the the aspect that it takes on especially with the sirens but what do you think about that the whole mythological trope uh this a uh, few months ago about five months back i was going through the story of uh the odyssey with um what's his name uh i always want to call him oedipus but that's not it uh odysseus, odysseus. thank odysseus, you th yes. thank you thank you and uh and i was tracking it through the sky clock as the story rolls out i was essentially uh watching the uh the constellations become uh, embedded into the story chronologically, just flowing right with time. And sure enough, um, as he goes through November, he's passing over the Lyra constellation in the, in the time of the story where his, he and his shipmates are going to go past the harpies. And the Lyra constellation is a harp. And so the harpies' song was tempting him to come ashore and be ravished by the harpies, like like every man has in in the past, they they have a uh, they never miss. The harpies always get their target, but he was forewarned because up in uh, Virgo, uh, the Gorgon had told him about this spell. So he told his uh, his shipmates to put wax in their ears and to tie him to the mast of the boat so that he could have his ears open and actually hear their song and, and persevere. And what's really fascinating about this is it's the master boat 
he's tied to the mast of the boat. And this is a, a metaphor for the urge, the desire, the call of the temptation that oftentimes will result in a, a, a fantasy that, uh, you know, so many of us have uh, experienced. Uh, and it's even, um, so it's not only the master boat, which is really fascinating because linguistically this is going from, we're told it went from Greek to English. How is this? How does this strange little twilight language still, you know, convey the message? Uh, and that's a mystery for everybody to deal with on their own. But um, the other thing that came to me in the same time I was doing that research, uh, it was a little bit before November when I was when I was digging into it. But the uh, the part about the beard, the no shave November comes to mind, and I had just learned that in the Solabuska deck that um, uh, the imagery of a man stroking a long beard is uh, was occulted signaling for masturbation because it's a form of self-soothing. And ever since I learned that, I've, uh, I haven't stopped stroking my beard one fucking bit. I do it even, <laughs> I probably do it twice as much now that I think about it. But the funny thing is like, it's to the extent that when I see somebody else doing it in a video, mm -hmm. I feel the urge to do it and I don't even think about it. I'll be watching the video, but oh yeah. Go and give yourself a nice stroke right now, you know, just <laughs> relish it. <laughs> well, you know, and that's that's no shave November, which is to raise awareness of men's health issues, including prostate. So men know where the prostate is and what they can do with it on their own time. Yes. And another I mean thing it's super interesting, uh the whole no nut November part because when you look at the way the like, uh, if you ever read the Salts of Salvation and the Zodiac, it, November is where the after you've done so your uh, bodily fluids and your cell salts start out in the cerebrum and cerebellum and they move down and through the transition down to the prostate that it's uh, a gaining process. So it's being added to the entire way down. And then in uh, the prostate or November or the Scorpio, you decide whether you're going to sting the poison out, whether you're going to uh, uh, yeah. uh, sacrifice the lives or you're going to turn into the eagle and all that. And then you're supposed to, and then you save that fluid and then it begins the transition back up. We're on the transition back up. It's a winnowing uh it's taking away until it gets back down to that perfect seed only it's a multiplication because it's went through this entire process but anyways november is when you make or you would make that you know symbolically make that choice to save the seed to bring it back up and become the higher man rather than spill the seed and and make the the more uh, mundane choice we're also getting closer to Lent. Are we already in Lent? The idea of 40 days of giving something up. And there's that movie, 40 Days, where uh, that heartthrob just he tries to give up sex for 40 days. You know, and that's such <laughs> a difficult thing to do for a lot of young men. Yeah, especially men prowling Tinder and Bumble. Young and men? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now, uh, we have um, this idea of Lent <coughs> and sacrifice and, you know, Hung saving men. your 
No, <laughs> exactly. And uh, Baldy, I, I want to ask you about the nut because I'm thinking of this uh, figure, the squirrel in the uh, world tree. Uh, starts with an R, right? How do you pronounce his actual name? It's uh, Ratatusker. Ratatusker. Could could I um speculate that he is the one carrying the sacred nut up and down this world tree to deliver messages from the earthly realm to the divine realms? Is this uh, a stretch? What do, what do you think? That's insightful. Yeah, well, he's he's keeping the two things polarized. So he's a dickhead squirrel. Uh, so everybody that's uh, imagining that um, the power of life comes from the polarization between the two things, having that really hard thump and that really hard pump, you know, it's, it's you want to have both actions and they both need to be equal. And so to keep the two sides of this realm polarized, Ratatouska runs up and down the tree and talks mad shit to each side and keeps them pissed <laughs> off at each other. <laughs> He's a good dude. That's a cool. That's that's a great name. I love Ratatusker. That's such a good name. In that way, he reminds me of Hermes traveling mm -hmm. back and forth. So it's again messenger moment of union. Definitely, definitely. And you know something else with uh, this idea of Lent. I'm glad you brought that up, Alan, because sacrifice seems to be uh, you know in the age of Jordan Peterson and all of the uh, influences that he's put upon the quote unquote manosphere. He talks a lot. You got to have a sacrifice, man. You got to keep order here. And with, with Lent, I mean, it makes me think about other practices. Like uh, it, it could be fasting. It could be like that, that polar plunge that you had mentioned earlier, Alan, you know, you are willingly putting yourself through challenge and difficulty and, you know, earning that sweat equity does something to a man and my my question for all of you maybe in a saturnian way and this um archetypal coming of age story that we all go through what does initiation mean to a man from a boy to a man who's being torn away from that safe maternal womb and is now uh, being put through those trials what does that look like to you guys what do you think in this modern day how do we initiate boys into men Boy, you let them make that, their own mistake. Such a big... You can go ahead, John. Oh, that, that was just my only point. You, to me, you let a man get initiated by letting them make their own mistakes so they could figure out how the world is. My mother let me do that. I was very lucky to not be told no about everything. You can't do that because this, you know, she just say, go ahead, go see what it's like cool that's the personal responsibility and all initiation self-initiation which requires courage and bravery to not be afraid of things and if yeah. you're if you're suffering from social anxiety and you have um, mental health awareness on all your dating profiles so you can match up with the other women type of a thing this is this is the culture we live in with this avoidant personality disorders and believing in the DSMV to uh, diagnose you. This is sort of the 
all of the things that you can use as excuses to say, you know, my genetics are terrible. My, my skin is terrible. The food quality is terrible. I'm poor. You know, I am never going to achieve anything. It's not even worth trying. Uh, getting a job is wage slavery. So I'm never going to work because that, that just, you know, you, you get to, you get these kids, they graduate high school and then they're like, you know, I graduated high school. That was so hard. I want to take the next four to 40 years off and just, you know, party and go to Europe and travel the world and do all these things before I get a real education and marry and settle down. And it's like, again, you know, there's no um, there's no timeline for any one person. Everyone is going to be different and different challenges will arrive in your life as you're ready for them to tackle them. And that's sort of the the faith that you have in yourself to accomplish these things. So don't be concerned or worried about fictional ideas in your mind and this these neurotic tendencies to get a, yeah. to get with other people and sort of just say like all these things could go wrong. We might as well just stay home. Well, that's self quarantine. That's imprisoning yourself. That's not a courageous thing. I think what we're getting at is the idea of the hero's journey, and that is the journey towards a divine masculine acceptance of what you need to do. So it's it's super hard in today's society to find a, a real way to do this. But in your tribal society, the uh, uh, transition into man, your manhood test was a huge deal. And it did a number of things to a person. And a, a boy was kicked out of the village and you were, you were gone. You had to go live off in the forest and learn how to make it on your own. And in that time frame, you learned a number of things. You learned how to be self-sufficient and how to take care of yourself. You learned what you were worth, what you're good at and what you're not. Uh, and you learned that you can make it as a man. And when you went back to the village not only were you not ever a net negative at that point in time, you were always going to be a productive person because at the very least you could take care of yourself. Uh, you also, if the village didn't suit what you wanted, you came to the, your manhood by yourself. And so you had certain standards that you came to understand that this is how I should live. And if that didn't fit this village, you were perfectly free to go live back in the fucking woods. And you know you could. I'll go back. I'll go live wherever I want. I don't have to deal with this because I, I don't want to do this. So if you were going to stay in the village or in that area, you were going to share the same values as those people. And you were going to be a productive person. Now, in today's society, there isn't really that ritual of going out into manhood where you're just cut off uh, from all other resources and hung out to dry like the kid pushed into the pool. Um, swim or don't swim. And that's a really hard thing. Uh, I do have, at my place, we regularly have visitors. And this visit, this mountain, it's, it's something else. And we have guys that'll go out and they will camp out on the property and they will, uh, I, you know, we're friends with some of them. These guys, they, uh, before I was friends with these guys, they were friends with some of them like snake Jones. 
and they find out what they're worth and they find out how good their big ideas are and how manly they think they are, you know, and some guys they get here. And when they got here, they thought chopping up a pile of wood was a, was man's work. And then I'd laugh at them and tell them that's for little kids. And then we'd go do man stuff. Yeah, you know, I uh, because anybody can chop up wood. We all need to stay warm. I uh, that we have to go do a lot more than that if you're going to be up to the snuff here. And they get that test, and when they go home, they uh, uh, it changes them, uh, all of them. And uh, but that's a hard thing because in our society you're told you need to be paid for everything you do and you're not getting paid to take the man test <laughs> you're just not and and you know it, it's it's that rite of passage and until you pass it it you just don't get it you don't yeah well said my friend well said and you know maybe we can think about what you just brought up, Ben, is the fact that some people need a strong mentor to show them the way, because I see this every day. I'm working in a public school and boys come in and they're told what to do all day. And not, none of it is man's work, right? It's, it's not really pushing them towards this initiation that maybe they're subconsciously seeking because they're in, they're in this very, um, a feminized uh, environment every day for eight hours and then they get out and that's when they really live. And, you know, I'm curious if we can go around. Um, how did you recognize a role model or some kind of mentor that shaped you? And, you know, what, what did you really learn from them and how, how could you maybe um, replicate and uh, you know, emulate them in your own life? I'm curious what you guys would say to that. Um, who wants to start? I'll take it. Uh, so I was, I've been a martial artist my whole life. I was 21, 20, 22 years old. And I decided uh, I needed to find uh, a master, somebody who was, who was clearly my superior uh, in the, in the martial realm. And I moved out to Boulder, Colorado and started uh, uh seeking out a capoeira instructor uh and it took me quite a few misses i found i found a few uh and i just kind of climbed the ladder and eventually uh the master that i found uh uh larry stevenson careca old baldy is he went by the name baldy that was his nickname <laughs> um and i realized that it wasn't his mochismo, his 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 physical strength. He was a you know he was gangly. He was long. He was stringy, but he was sophisticated, and he was wise, and he could speak. Uh, he spoke Spanish uh, his whole life. He was raised in uh, Puerto Rico, um, but he also sp spoke perfect Portuguese. And he spoke a lot of uh, Swahili. He knew African songs by heart. Then that motherfucker could dance. He could salsa. <laughs> he had all these attributes that I didn't even know were worthy of admiration. 
but he could do them in his sleep. And uh, and that was the master that I discovered. And I, uh, I still honor and respect him in a great way. But the thing that was so powerful was how hard it was to impress him. And that was something that I learned as a role model, you know, it doesn't do anybody any any service to lavish them with compliments or to over approve of them. And in fact, that's coddling. And a truly good master holds a high standard, even in your most shining and proudest moment for yourself. They'll look down their nose at you and be like, nah, I don't think so, bro. <laughs> I don't think so. And they will drag you through the fucking mud for years and years and years. And they will be very sparse and sparing with their, um, with their uh, praise. And that was a fucking hard ass lesson for me to go five, six, seven years with this fucker and him hardly ever to be like, Hmm, not bad, you know? And in, uh, in, in our art form, it's all, it's all very nonverbal. And in fact, like, uh, to think that he would say anything is way too much to expect, but it's just the facial expression of praise. And very seldom did I ever get the, you don't suck that much. And that was the most I could expect out of him. And that's the kind of mentality that a real good mentor will carry forward. So I'll just kind of drop that gem for everybody. Right on, right on. Uh, Mr. McGee, would you like to share your mentor story? I don't really have a mentor story, honestly. I have uh, male figures that I look up to. Uh, but Enoch's uh, description and his example just now, it reminds me of uh, the master that's on the Kill Bill vo uh, Volume 2 that trains the main character. He he never gives her any type of like smile or anything, man. He even says, "Hey, if you eat off the ground, you don't eat at all." It's crazy. I yeah, would it's say funny that. Seeing... Uh... Oh, go ahead, man. Sorry. No, no, you're good, brother. Go ahead. I was just gonna bring up uh, Doctor Strange because he approaches the temple and he wants to get in. He wants to train, and he's denied over and over again he's got to wait and learn patience i guess and uh or demonstrate persistence before he's entered or before he's uh given entrance yeah sorry what were you gonna say uh, with me and what my uh, role models have taught me is that and what's really seems pretty masculine because i don't see a lot of like females do this type of uh they don't carry themselves the same way as when they fail, they keep going. I see more like it's more feminine to just give up and just quit. You know what I mean? But the men in my life have showed me that you just keep going no matter what you just keep going. And I would say that that's the most that any man could show you, honestly, to not give up, keep going for what you want. Amen, brother. Amen. Yeah. 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 Perseverance. When, uh, when, you know, you guys all know, I've told this many times that, uh, I was at Sandy hook my senior year and my 
principal would always give us a really interesting message every day after that. Um, he would announce this. He would send us in emails. He would say, our collective strength and resilience will serve as an example for the rest of the world. And that's always stuck with me. Uh, despite all the other baggage of this event, it was that that message of resilience and just keep on going because there's something else worth fighting for at the end. It's like, there's still some good in this world, Mr. Frodo. We got to keep going, you know. Uh, you have to keep knocking you gotta keep for the door to be opened. Couldn't have said it better. Yes. Hey, you said you went to Sandy Hook? Yes, sir. Well, oh, I okay. So the Sandy Hook is uh, one of many elementary schools in the Newtown area. Um, okay, I, but I've I've been there, um, and you know I, I won't get into it. But I've I've been there uh, many times. Of course um, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Um, yeah. For uh, actually for wrestling, and I'll That's just quickly say this now because we brought it up. Uh, Sandy Hook. Uh, I've trained uh, wrestlers there, um, and my mentor is actually my wrestling coach back in back in high school. His nickname was Dano, uh, Daniel. He's a little short Filipino man. He was probably so like, I'm like five, six. He was probably like five, four, maybe five, five. Like he was, he was pretty, uh, I don't want to say petite, but you know, he, he was, uh, tiny, but feisty. And they would call him the Filipino flash yeah. because he had speed above all else, explosive speed. And he never let his side, like he was like, not the archetypal Napoleon who was angry at everybody. Like that's kind of like the Napoleon complex that society has created, but he was just someone who owned it completely. And um, him and the other coaches would say this, uh, your, your mind goes, or sorry, wherever your mind goes, your body follows. So he would always train us to have that killer instinct when we go out there for those six that that quick six six minute uh wrestling match because if you don't bring that out there if you're if your instincts aren't tuned in then you're going to be flat on your back in no time so that was always a powerful message uh you know i'm not a killer but i uh go into everything knowing that i still have the capability of succeeding even if the other guy is way bigger than me or if the the mountain's really yeah. tall the challenge is really high so I would share that. Um, Joshua, what do you think about mentors? It, it's funny that you uh, brought this up in the uh, chat here, and I'm glad that you that you did because I wasn't thinking about that earlier. But what do you think about mentors? Well, growing up, I really didn't have good ones until a certain age. It wasn't until I started going to like uh, Boy Scout camp and having like a scout master who was teaching me manly type things like tying knots and building shelters in the forest, you know, survivalism type skills. And uh, then I, you know, I was going to like summer camps and learning what, but leadership camps and uh, like politically themed camps and stuff like that. And, and although it wasn't as male-esque, you know, I was, was learning like public speaking and stuff like that. So it was more like the artistic male side of you know like back in the greek and roman times they the orators and stuff it kind of reminded me of that so it wasn't until like those times that i really had models role models so to speak and um you know i think that I, that's something that can be both under and overestimated um just having one in your life i don't think is enough it has to be one that's engaged and actually wants to raise you, you know, and uh, 
succeed, succeed. Um, because you, you know, and, and like a father, for instance, can, you can procreate, have a child and feed it and shelter it and take care of it in a way, but then still not provide it the, um, raising element. And, you know, I, I think that if that's not provided, it's like, a a plant kind of grown without any kind of structure, you know, it, it, if it's lucky enough to become resilient and, and survive on its own, great. But, <laughs> but uh, I think it's maybe even a little cultural too, like what we look up to and what we want to embody. And, um, you know, even for me growing up, I actually looked up to Joan of Arc of all, it wasn't even a male. And it was because she actually pretended she was a male and led the French troops under God and, you know, took over a bunch of land and stuff. So I always looked up to her cause I didn't have a good male role model. And, but what she had was faith. So even though she wasn't like huge and strong and everything, she's in my mm -hmm. eyes, like being strong of faith was masculine, like divine, divine masculine. Of course, with her being of the opposite gender, that's even more so divine masculine, I guess. But, but um, I just think that that's something that we don't realize that, as we get older, though, we can become or we might be somebody's role model and not even know it. And so I think that mm -hmm. uh, it's it's important to talk about that because maybe recognizing that we didn't have one helped me realize, oh, I can be that one for my nephews, for instance, or whomever you know, that might be in a community and uh, or even just younger males like I got friends that are like 26 and you know their idea of fun's going to the strip club and drinking beer and stuff and I just think it's funny because I'm so much older than them and I never really was into that anyway but uh, just seeing them do it it's like well when I can I try to offer them good advice <laughs> I'm like listen you don't want to be doing this in five ten years you might want to find a good girl and you know, work on yourself right now instead of wasting time. So it's kind of interesting to see that our society is really kind of wayward because with each passing generation, th those role models are less and less effective. And I think that's why it's so important to, I was hoping maybe Ben could comment on this by talking about like the Hava Mall uh, or anybody else that maybe has um, historical literature or like the Bible. I think these things are very important and usually no matter what culture it's in, like whatever the predominant religion is, that's kind of associated with conservatism. And I've always thought that was kind of interesting because it's like that provides the, in the absence of a father, quote unquote, we look to God, the father, whatever that might be in each respective culture, you know? And I think what's kind of happened here in our country is that the nanny state um, has been raising everybody and everybody kind of looks up to the government and now it's your parent <laughs> and God help us. If you know, that gets to be the majority. 100%. Now we have a crisis on our hands. And so that's kind of how I feel about it. And that's why I wanted to bring that question up because I really didn't have a good one. <laughs> and uh, I just, uh, growing up, you know, at age 37 now, looking back, I think like, man, I could have made a lot less mistakes. I could have maybe 
learn new skill sets. Like I think just the impact we, I don't think we realize like what impact we can have on uh, a developing mind or minds. Cause like you work at a school, you said, so, I mean, you have the potential, like all those uh, kids you helped with wrestling, for instance, you could be, even if they don't make the conscious uh, recognition of it, you might actually be like the default role model because they don't have a better one to look up to, you know, and I think that's really powerful. So that's just there's thoughts I wanted to share there on that. Yeah. I quickly want to comment and then I'll, I want to hear Baldy uh, cause the, what's it called again? It starts with an, an H. I just want to make sure I say it properly. Oh, Havamal. Havamal. Yeah. I, de- I definitely want to dive into that. And uh, cause he brought up beer too. We're, we're going to talk about beer for sure. Uh, <laughs> we certainly are, but uh, you know, it seems like there's this pattern of people who, um, you know, I can kind of see this tracked throughout my own friends who are now starting to have kids. You know, I'm turning 28 in, uh, in, in April. We're at this ripe age where it's like time to start a, a uh, family and get and get our roots going. And I see a lot of men who did not grow up with strong father figures who are now becoming those figures themselves. And they uh, this maybe um, deficit has dr- driven them to... Uh, seek out and to become what they had been missing. And I, I think that's kind of fascinating given that it could be very damaging and we can see this damage uh, throughout our entire culture. And yet there are still men out there responding like, nope, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to be better than the last generation and X, Y, and Z. And so that's pretty cool. And glad you brought that up. So uh, Baldy, what do you think, man? This has been fun so far. So yeah, you bet. Um, I think that uh, when you're young, it wasn't supposed to be really a role model situation. And I didn't have one at that age. I, in general, most men, and I'm from a very, you know, uh, rural area. And so the, the men that I looked up to and respected were all men that like, if there was a problem, all of a sudden six guys uh, show up and they're all ready to do something. They all got tools and they're putting plans in action and they're taking care of things and nobody's putting their hand out wanting paid. Uh, like uh, I live out in the mountains now. And just yesterday we had the most crazy blizzard here uh, and the trees here are not prepared for that. So we had trees going down like mad and somebody was driving and a tree fell right across their vehicle. And then out in the middle of a mountain road, all of a sudden, like six dudes with chainsaws show up with different vehicles. Like nobody should have been driving on the road where these guys showed up. They're all like, okay, we got to like here, how are we going to, and they're just, you know, they're just fixing the situation. And uh, that's what dudes did. And so there was just a general sense that if you wanted to be a man, that's how you acted. You did man stuff. You, you, you acted like a man. And then when you got older, that's, I think when more of the role model situation came up where, uh, now that I've become just a man in general, now I kind of want to specialize in this thing. Hey, I found that I'm pretty good at, at, uh, work and metal. I'm going to go hang out with this blacksmith and that I, that I admire. And I think he's a good blacksmith. And I want to start producing things like him. And I think it's at that point that after you just had this general manhood that you would then progress on to actually having uh, some type of a role model 
because uh, you know it's like you, you've reached this zero point like now it's time for me to do this um and i never had a, a role model in that in that scenario honestly i had uh, uh just a series of uh every time i got to the next level i would think i met somebody that was uh gonna be so that person and it was always wizard of oz always including when i had uh, my tv show um and i met the all these heads of these different pagan societies and things like that and the head of an alchemy society and i'm like you people don't know half of what i know uh you you could never be my role model like i wouldn't even hang out with you you you're you you're just pompous asses and i uh, it's so I never actually got to experience that myself, but I also feel like society's fallen to such low extremes that it's uh it's that whole warriors and thinkers uh, quote. I'm not real big on the Greeks. I think it was a very feminized society, but uh, it, but that quote I, I do really enjoy where you your warriors and your thinkers are supposed to be the same people. And that's where I really had a, a disconnect because in my area, if you were a man, you went out and did manly things and then you went and drank beer and watched football and things like that. And I was down with doing the manly things like I'm down with going out and working on the car, working on the truck, uh, firing up the steel, uh, you know, going and doing some carpentry, whatever. But then I'm not going to go do mindless watch TNA movies, you know, which is tits and ass for any of you younger guys. Like that was the big thing. Oh, TNA movies, you know, and I, I, I'm not going to do any of that nonsense. And I honestly feel like that's something that was pushed on men. Like uh, when I was young, I was taught that men thought about sex like every three seconds. And even as a child, when I heard that, I was like, what? How the fuck could you, you can't even think anything else then. Like you couldn't have another, you know, so it's like they've pushed men into the, the, the manly men is just me. I pick things up and put them down. And then the sissy man is the man that reads and has uh high intellectual thoughts. And I, I, so in the area I I lived, that was an, that's the way it was. And I don't feel like that at all. When I'm not doing what people would call man work, and I do a lot of it more than most men by far, uh, I go and do scientific experiments. Uh, I have, I could literally fill libraries with the books I've read. Uh, I, I do all kinds of different things like that. Uh, I do crafts, I make jewelry. Uh, so, I mean, different art things. I'm not real good at art, but I, I don't really show anybody because I suck at it, but that's okay. I, I, I do my own things, my own little dumb things. And that's what men are supposed to do. You're not, it, it's bring back the study, in my opinion, not bring, bring, bring on the man cave where you can sit there and play video games and act like an asshole. Like you, you're supposed to have a higher mind and then as that higher mind develops, you put that more into your daily life and life just gets better and better. And the Havamal, when I came across the Havamal, that 
like I didn't come to the the northern uh, European culture until I was much older. I went fully left hand path and I went like took the full circuitous route <laughs> to come to where I landed. And uh, when I when I finally read the Havamal, it was like, did I write this damn thing? What is going? And it's literally just a book of how you should be as a man. And that's something we haven't really touched on. And I thought we should do that right out the gate. Like, cause there's just confusion about what a man is entirely. And, and the thing, the thing is, is in the, in the way alchemy works, the man is the salt. You are the stability. You are the home. And that home needs, I loved where Alan Marcus went with this. You need to become a man before you expect a woman worth a shit to come in your life and, and, and fill it. So the, the man is the salt, the stability, and the woman is the, the thing that frees that trapped soul. So it's more mobile and it fills it with love. So you need to, as a man, be the provider, the protector. Uh, I spend countless nights sleepless because there's predators around or something, or I'm worried that the baby goat might be getting cold or, you know, whatever's going on. My number one purpose in life on this farm is caretaker everything on this farm needs to live a good life and if it does not that's my fucking fault that's on me every single day if something dies that's on me and that is what i provide and then my wife fills it with love and beauty but being a man is being capable being the protector being the provider, being the hard line. Like when something comes, I am the end of the fucking line at the end of the day. And I do not, I do not bet. Yeah, but yeah, man, it's uh, it, that, that term husbandry plays a huge role there because you're the steward of this, this area that, that you're watching over and the people that are living there and um, it's on your shoulders and, it's a beautiful burden to be bearing. I really love that you've brought that up and that even though it's costing you sleep sometimes, it's the most important job you'll ever have. And, uh, you know, it's it's beautiful. I'll just say that. And Mr. Alan Marcus, what do you think? We've uh, woven through a lot of different topics and I still want to get to uh, beer and soy, of course. But when it comes sure. to the um, initiatory apprenticeship that we, uh, us, us, um, gentlemen go through uh you know there's a lot of different paths and what what kind of path do you find to be the most ideal and what have you learned about uh mentorship along your well, with, journey with mentorship i think that's another aspect of the hero's journey there's maybe a, a type of boy who is searching constantly for a mentor and thinking that a mentor needs to be a perfect ideal figure. And then they'll go through and kind of like, well, you know, there's, there's this flaw about this person and they're looking for a perfect mentor and then they don't find that perfect mentor. So then they just keep searching for a mentor and they don't advance anywhere. And that's okay. I think recognizing that men are, uh, they're dimensional. They have aspects to them. They have low points and they have emotions and they'll hide them and they'll put them aside at times. But that doesn't mean that a man is going to be perfect in every decision. There are so many storms and so many shit tests from 
from culture and women and people around them to test them because they know that they are emitting that masculine energy. So when you're emitting the masculine energy and you're attracting that opposition, keep going, don't give up. So the mentors, my father taught me, you know, I, you got to be persistent. If you make a commitment to something, even if halfway through you turn out to not like the thing, you committed to it, you have to finish it. And then there's a lesson at the end. And then you can sign up for a different sport or a different hobby. It's like if you get a pet, a little puppy, a little kitten, and you're like, well, I guess I don't like it. You have the responsibility now because you took that on. So then the father figure will say, well, we warned you. We, we said, you know, that's a stray animal. Don't bring it into the house. But now that you've taken it on as a responsibility, that's your responsibility. So you have to take personal responsibility and also be responsible for that animal that you've taken on because you've watched Lassie or you watched something, which leads to the next point of role models on television and movies and, and watching sitcoms and thinking like a sitcom father and then that gets into like the animated comedies of uh, the simpsons and peter griffin and family guy and these sorts of things and and realizing that these scripted narratives are not reality and that's that's a hard lesson to learn and then the other note i made here is in in a school setting you might you might say it's kind of a, a feminized setting and now in 2023 it's it's maybe not even a feminized setting it's it's an agender setting meaning without gender so they're pulling the feminine towards the center they're trying to pulling the masculine towards this middle where the, they're not they're not even giving masculine qualities they want unisex bathrooms and they want equality for everybody so you can be a worker and you can wear the same pantsuit and you can go to work in that that uniform so it's not divine masculine it's not divine feminine it's it's moving towards a transhumanist thing which is then realizing over time that a lot of things that your most trusted mentors and and teachers and religious leaders and these people they they only know what they were taught. So a lot of them are repeating what they were told without having the firsthand experience. So then that's where the the challenge of recognizing that you don't have a set of directions. Your mentors are, they don't have the skills that you thought they had because they were faking it until they made it into a position to do the thing that they were not qualified to do. So then you'll realize that you learn by doing it and by necessity. So don't be afraid to step into a position that you think you're not qualified for. If you're offered the position, then take it and learn from it. So that's the other thing is putting yourself in a position to have opportunities presented to you to take them instead of waiting for a mentorship or like asking, can I be your apprentice sort of a thing? Dr. Strange showing up at a temple. That's sort of like a religious thing, which brings into this idea of the masculine as kind of a monk or a hermit or a man going his own way, sort of leaving the culture to go on a study for a time that may be necessary for some people. But for other people, that may be seen as a luxury 
because their primary concern is, well, I, I don't have a roof over my head. So I need to go and become a wage slave. And this is sort of a, a cultural thing now where a lot of men are saying, you know, they're not paying me enough for for what I'm worth. And I'm I'm undervalued. And this sort of concern of does the divine masculine need to receive compliments and compensation for the work that he does? Does he have a lack mentality? Does he fear that he's not going to have enough? So then he doesn't tip a waitress. He he withholds his finances and he becomes sort of this miser type person. That's a question for you. Well, interesting point. Uh, just on the school comment, I can't help but bring this up because I think you're absolutely right. There is no mentor that's just going to show up. And when I was first put into the uh, teacher training program, our first, our very, very first assignment was to watch a film called Waiting for Superman. And the whole premise of this movie, which exposes a lot of the uh, dark practices of the education system, is the fact that Superman ain't coming, y'all. Like, he is not going to show up. You have to become Superman. And that's the most valuable lesson that I've gotten out of this teaching program is all the techniques and all the jargon and po politics aside, like, it's the fact that you have to become Superman because he's not going to show up and you can seek and you can seek someone out who might embody the ideal Superman. But um, more importantly, you have to become him yourself. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yes. What do you guys think? Uh, should we talk about beer? Because uh, well, that's, that's the question. Yes. Beer money and who's going to pay the tab? Yes. You're going to buy rounds for the entire bar here cheers cheers I well that i i like that I miserly I part too because like i said i like where you went with that miserly because uh those guys that just appeared out of fucking nowhere with chainsaws like dude where did you even come from with your fucking 660 steel chainsaw already warmed up and running like you just magically appeared because there was need that dude wasn't asking for money afterwards you might like me, when I when I went up, when the tree fell across the road and they were having problems, I went up and, and nobody else had done it. So I went up there and took my saw and cleaned it up. And yeah, I took the wood I cut up. I didn't like ask anybody for money or anything like that. Men do the right thing straight out. And that whole miserly idea, that really takes the heart right out of men. I, it really does. I think that kind of gets to the like to be needed um like those men with the tools for instance that were in the right place at the right time like they that's like what they've been waiting for almost all their life right it's just the opportunity to exactly use the tool that they got <laughs> and so this dude was hiding in a corner with this steel for like five <laughs> years and just like ha -ha! like the, the boy scout motto of like be prepared exactly. be ready that's what they taught us yeah and uh, I think that there's something to that because, you know, in a way it's like men kind of become a Swiss army knife. It's like, well, I got a tool for that. I got a screwdriver or whatever, you know, and, and it's like uh, them to be needed. Then they, they fill this role that then none of one else in the family occupies, you know, and I think it's interesting too, because it's kind of like how the mother will normally occupy the kitchen or, doctor wounds and things like that and uh, i just think it's interesting how 
males and females kind of gravitate toward different professions based on what their inherent skill sets tend to be. And no matter how much we try to change that, um, it seems to be there. And I think that it's also interesting, though, from the perspective of the divine masculine and feminine, that, that when you borrow from that other side, um, it's not meant to replace, but borrowing from it does add like a extra aspect or characteristics. So for instance, like uh, when we have a deity, like God, the father, for instance, all powerful, warlike, etc., but can also then be caring because with that, without that strength, you can't protect your people, so to speak. Right. Whereas like if a God quote unquote was not strong, then he can't even be caring because being caring would just, you just end up dead. Right. So I think it's interesting too, when those are borrowed from one another, like a, a woman that um, can fix something is probably a little bit attractive just because they're somewhat capable, not totally helpless. Right. But then at the same time, it's like when a man maybe um, cooked something for his wife, she might find that attractive, even though it's not his role. So I think it's, it's kind of interesting sometimes where we can create a flow of energy by borrowing those things from the other side. But I think it's so important to recognize that those, those boundaries actually do exist inherently so that when we do steal from that other side it creates like an imbalance and a flow and um i think that's kind of at the core of why people do that sort of thing on purpose is because they're trying to channel that but um i might have gotten off topic i'm sorry i kind of forgot what we started uh that's that's perfect i mean that's the the metaphor of sportsmanship i think a lot of mentoring happens through athletics and not necessarily physical athletics it could be mental athletics it could be quiz teams debate teams these sorts of things these these competitions for the sake of learning to be competitive but also being a good sport and not being a sore loser and knowing that you have to achieve your personal best which might not be great at all in the competition you might be the worst out of everybody but that's the masculine thing to not compare yourself to another athlete, to another artist, to another competitor as an excuse for you to not do the thing. That's yeah, the uh, value of any trophy is not in the fact that everyone gets one, but it's like, if you uh, can push yourself and I, I like how you frame that Alan to not compare yourself to others, but you know, compare yourself to who you were yesterday that's literally a quote from Jordan Peterson. It makes me uh, tingle to say that like my lobster senses are tingling right now, but you know, it's funny because the main, like I'm imagining the main attack on modern masculinity is it really does stem from that participation trophy ethic, which I think goes into this um, asexualized, like non-gendered, roles that are pushed in school and that there cannot be winners or losers everyone must be it's like harrison bergeron right like enforced equality and that's uh that's a very dangerous and slippery slope for sure what do you guys think when i was in the army we immediately noticed that i was actually in the army uh so i went through boot camp it was still uh uh separated 
but they integrated it when I was in AIT. AIT is like your uh, more technical training. Um, so uh, in AIT, rather than boot camp, in boot camp, it was balls to the wall. Like that drill sergeant, we were getting smoked all day, every day. They're like, oh, you got to break the fuck you do. You got to break to do some push-ups. Yeah, you know, like you, when you got out of boot camp, you you could do push-ups like while you were sleeping. Like eh, it didn't even bother you anymore. And when we were in AIT, everything has to be catered down because like say you're on a unit run. Well, if you've got a quarter of the unit lagging behind, that's obviously not the military mindset. And so immediately putting women in really knocked down the quality of men that were being produced because it had to, just like Harrison Bergeron, they had to make it more equal in order to make this work as a unit. And in order to make it work as a unit, because they let in such weak links. And I understand that that sounds horrible, but it's not, women should not be in that position. That's, that was the problem. Not that women themselves are weak because my home would not be what it is without Christy. And the only reason I'm able to go out and be who I am is because of her. And I'm very aware of that. But if she was standing next to me, I couldn't be me. I would have to be worried about her. I would have to be worried about my home, all those other things. So there's a reason that that was done like it was. And when we decided that it needs to be pushed together, it it immediately was harmful to everybody all around. Um, And on the, the hops. So with the soy thing, everybody goes on about how it's the, the soy that's these are all soy boys but it's been pushed on i on uh it's been pushed on our society that men drink beer so in 1999 a potent cytoestrogen called eight was discovered in hops in fact the most potent cytoestrogen found to date 50 times more potent than the than the genistein in soy an obvious explanation for the mental disturbance in female hops workers in the past also an obvious explanation for all the man tit for the man tits on the beer drinkers so while you were sitting around talking shit about soy boys you're chugging something 50 times more potent in cytoestrogen than they are not everyone gets a trophy in beer fest, but everyone gets a beer gut. That's for sure. It's the <laughs> dad, the dad bot is available to anyone who will seek it out. And that's kind of funny that Peter Griffin and Homer Simpson, they, you know, they're clearly overweight and they're embodying the classic American dad ethic. Uh, in fact, American dad is the only one it's, who it's is not actually not, built. <laughs> it's not classic though. Yeah, right. Like, like, like that's perceived. only something that's been in the last so many years. Classic was Captain America, was competence, you know, goodness, stood for his home and his people, and he was capable, competent, and you didn't fuck with that guy, and he was sexy. Like, that was classic. Peter yep. Griffin is new. Peter Griffin, uh, 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 Al Bundy, all these just incompetent shits. 
that are just worthless and 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 everybody thinks they're great. That is not classic. That's new and garbage. Right, and to sit down with a TV dinner tray with the family to watch television together is a very passive activity. And passivity, that's a feminine quality. It's like eat your dinner together, no television, no cell phones, no music, no distractions, make eye contact, talk with your family members, and then get back to work, right? Don't sit around and watch television and then fall asleep on the couch. I mean, if you're living that comfy life, someone's someone's doing some work for you. Is it your wife? Is it your children? Are you putting too many chores and the, and the burdens of others as a man? Where have your responsibilities gone? Yeah, like leading isn't just being the head of the household and bossing people around. It's like uh, delegating authority. You know, giving because he has the authority, he chooses when to delegate it. I know I can't be where I need to be or do what I need to do right now. So I delegate this authority to your older brother or your older sister. I think that's something that's kind of an interesting point to make, too, because that's part of the husbandry is also like extended into the family life. You got like sheep dogs and stuff too. You know, like <laughs> round up your little brother and your sister. <laughs> yeah, well, I, we've start, been... I started. Uh, I stopped that phrase. You know, practice makes perfect. I put. A, I stomped that shit out a while back. My kiddo hears, "Practice makes you ready for more practice." Amen to that. Amen to that. Never enough. Never enough. You know, and speaking of practice, if uh, a young prince will become a king one day, he's going to need a lot of practice. He's, he's got to train and prepare for that. And we have a really famous archetypal, um, I don't know what to call it. It's a short little book and it's wonderful. It's King, Warrior, Lover, Magician. Uh, and the the order of that, uh, you know, I'm not sure what, what comes first, the king, the warrior, the, the lover, and then the magician is at the end. Maybe there's there's no definite chronology, but you know I'm curious. We could talk about the king and having responsibility over his kingdom can easily become a tyrant when too much responsibility, as someone has just recently said, is uh, given to others, and the 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 king is not doing his fair share. Uh, so I'm I'm curious with the the archetypes. Of course, the uh, tarot weaves can probably come into here as, as well. We have um, the king. The warrior who has to defend this um, kingdom, right? You know, like when shit hits the fan, the warrior's got to step up and defend it. And the magician is that creative generative principle that, you know, if any if any any man is depressed, they just need to create something. They got to make something. It doesn't matter what it is. You just got to produce something and that'll definitely make you feel better. And then the lover, well, I think we'll eventually get into the fact that it's been said that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And I'd love to <laughs> talk about all the all the above. So I'm just going to throw it out there and um, see. What do you guys think? There's a lot there, uh, especially with the archetypes. Where should we start? I will wait my turn and let everybody else speak. But uh, the men are from Mars, women are from Venus. That's definitely uh, that. Well, that one's my jazz. Yeah, I dig that. Yeah, one thing I love to point out is you know. Uh, Mars has all those, it's taken all the hits. Mars gets, a, he's got, he's scarred. 
He's he's recognized for his scar. You know, where I mean we're talking about Deadpool, right? Deadpool, his face is all fucked up. He is Mars in his guess what is his love interest. Guess what her name is? Vanessa. You know, uh it is it is so true. It is and she's gorgeous. She's fucking hot. She's cooking. And sure enough, you know, they tell us Venus is pretty fucking hot. Uh, but yeah, I love that. Uh, and furthermore, Mars, per the uh, consensus cosmology, Mars is on the exterior. Mars is in the public. Mars is taking the hits. Mars is out there in the protective role. And Venus is where it's nice and warm and safe and beautiful and perfect, uh, where she can, you know, be admired and preserved. Uh, so yeah, I think it's quite profound that per the standard cosmology, it is also uh, recognizes that seventh hermetic principle, gender. I can uh, comment a little bit on these archetypes. I think a lot of times they kind of characterize children as being like little kings, like uh, throwing temper tantrums, you know. Uh, and so like the archetype of giving in to the child's every whim, creating a little tyrant, I can kind of almost see that as like the child. And in course in tarot, that would be like the happiness card where the child's sitting on the horse, you know, he's the king or whatever. So it could be like a very young type archetype. Um, like you said, the prince kind of that kind of motif kind of comes to mind with the king thing. It's just an immature version of what he might be later on or he it's it's that potential at least and uh i think with the warrior that's you know you you get warrior age men uh, i mean there's even a cutoff in the military I, I couldn't join if i wanted to you know i'm already too old apparently and uh i think that's kind of interesting because pretty much at 18 you can no more than drink a beer and then go die for your country, you know? And so like the warrior is kind of in this where the males at his peak physicality um, and mental acuity. Um, he's at, you know, his best in a lot of different ways. So I think the warrior kind of represents that young adult stag kind of thing. He may not even have a family yet. Right. But then <clears throat> you got the lover, by contrast, let's say he has a wife, you know, now he's got something to fight for or maybe a reason not to go to war, et cetera. So those uh, elements can be there with the lover and then, of course, creating progeny. Um, and then with the magician, I think that's kind of like a mastery of resources. You know, with that, we would normally see the sword, the pentacle, the chalice, and uh, the wand, of course. And um, so that to me represent a male that's balanced aspects of himself and his life. Perhaps after having been the warrior, perhaps may or may not have found a lover, but then fell in love with knowledge or wisdom or something like almost see like the magician is a Merlin type of uh, archetype or you know, having, a, I think Benjamin made me mention having a study earlier. So it's kind of like that archetype is one that represents the wisdom of the male, I think. And then uh, 
you know, so maybe they could be in terms of age, but I think we kind of develop parts of them at different stages in our life. And maybe if we don't hit certain milestones or have certain rites of passage, you know, we can leave like elements of that out. And so I think that if we were to educate ourselves on those, we could discover like, Oh, you know, I'm inherently fulfilling a lot of these, but you know, this cluster here is maybe not fully fleshed out. So then investing a little bit in that lover archetype could balance out the warrior archetype and maybe, you know, looking at the magician and King kind of balances like, well, is it a King could be strong, but is he wise? Right. So uh, I think that could kind of add to the balance. And that might be a little bit about what the five rings, the book of five rings gets at, I think is balance and mastery of different weapons and stuff like that. Um, it's almost like every weapon had its own personality or something <laughs> and philosophy that went along with it. Um, but uh, the other thing I wanted to comment on was the rice of passage because, you know, we're kind of robbed of that. I think that that's something that uh, should probably be happening to you at various stages in your life, but more especially at like age 13. Um, like in Egyptian culture, they would never cut um, a certain lock of hair over your eye until you were 13. And then at that age, they would sever that child lock and then from then from that point on you were expected to be an adult and no longer see through children's eyes but through adult eyes and you know um maybe held to a higher standard of accountability and you know maybe if you did get in trouble quote unquote and you had your child lock well you know get out of here kid but you get caught doing something and you don't have your child lock it's like well we're, we're going to teach you a lesson. <laughs> so, um, but we're robbed of that. So like the closest we get to those sorts of things now are like learner's permit or driver's license. And, and then because we don't really, yeah, wisdom teeth, exactly. Getting your wisdom teeth extracted, I think is such a bizarre rite of passage that most people go through now. For a lot of folks, that's their first encounter with anesthesia, uh, pain meds, things like that, that they would have otherwise never been exposed to. And so in an initiatory kind of way, um, they're being introduced to pharmacia, pharmacia and um, things of that nature, but, and in you know, not, maybe not a healthy way. Right. Um, I remember when I uh, was on stuff like that in the past for procedures like that, you know, it gave you a really weird feeling and, you know, uh, then your friends maybe want them and it introduces you to like a whole new area of things like that. You know, it's very unhealthy, but then a positive thing I could maybe say is like, well, look into the scouting again. There was something called the OA, the order of the arrow. And this is like a more healthy rite of passage that I really enjoyed. And it was because after you went to scout camp, if you're, if you're scout master, kind of like the, the, uh, the teacher that doesn't compliment you. Right. Well, I had the scout master. He would tell you when you did a good job, but what was really interesting about this ritual was that at the end of scout camp, everybody would line up around a bonfire and it was dark and these Indian braves were dressed up and they would walk around the, 
perimeter of the circle and your scoutmaster, if he felt that you were deserving, he would stand behind you with a white sash and a red arrow on it. And as the Indian chiefs were walking around, if, the, if you were tapped, as they would say, and that sash was above your head, you were marked, the Indian dudes would stop in front of you, hit you on the chest, yell something. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. And then drag you off into the, into the distance amid all this, you know, the, the orange glow of the fire. And at that age, it was a little bit terrifying, right? Um, so, you know, I think having that element of fear there and uncertainty, knowing that you're probably going to be okay, but at the same time, it's like, well, what's going on? You know, there's this anticipation and stuff. And, um, what I really liked about that was that you return after that, uh, you return for a week and work on the property, cleaning up after camp, doing projects, um, learning the importance of teamwork and things of that nature. And while you were there, you weren't allowed to talk. So you had to perform your labor in complete silence and you had to take a vow of silence. And, you know, that was for me a very interesting experience because how often are you forced, you know, to do, to do things like that. And so toward the end, you also didn't eat. And so then uh, at the end, they then blindfolded you and you had to hold a rope and then there was somebody in front of you and they probably had a hundred kids holding on the rope, you know, <laughs> and walking through the woods at night up to a campfire. And then that you got your blindfolds removed and there was another ritual and they gave you like the bear claw and everything. And I know a lot of this just sounds silly perhaps, but you know, at that age, I hadn't encountered any kind of, of rites of passage or, rituals or any i mean to me this is the type of stuff my father should have been doing with me anyway but here i had to join a proxy group to you know get these same types of experiences and i think that those are very important because i credit a lot of my upbringing to like scouting for instance whereas i've had and never had those experiences you know i felt like it maybe would have left a gap that Maybe, maybe I would have always been searching for something that to fill that, but by having it filled there in a healthy way, I felt like it could really contributed to my uh, development in a positive way. So I just wanted to weave on that rite of passage thing a little bit because, you know, we read about, you know, where they take the shaman to be for the tribe and, and deep into the cave and dose them up on like mushrooms or something like that. And they'd come out you know, they're no longer a child. <laughs> they come out an adult and the, the shaman or whatever. And so, you know, you don't hear about stuff like that anymore. And so I just uh, think it's important to kind of maybe spend a moment or two talking about how important those things are and what are some of the rites of passage for a divine masculine. Like I think having a child is probably a really important one that I've never experienced uh, and marriage, you know, having sex for the first time is supposed to coincide with marriage for the most part and having a child, but see all those things are kind of unlinked now because they're kind of mutually exclusive, you know, but in a traditional way, even like getting married and having a child is supposed to be a, like an initiation of sorts. So there was a question earlier about should the uh, man kick out his son at 18 and kick him out of the nest or whatever. Well, I think, yeah, possibly, but um, 
but in a healthy way, helping him understand like, well, go find your fortune, go find your wife, then come back. I'll have some property here for you and you can build a home and stuff like that. But like nowadays you don't even have that. Like my own father sold our property that was given uh, to him. So I don't even have a birthright now. And so I think that kind of thing is important too, because these all really tie into deeply rooted um, like ancestral type things like um, cutting our connection to the land really has an effect on the masculine man too. Like uh, I can imagine like look at maybe how a native tribe would feel, for instance, like when the Indians lost their land and how that affected the men in that tribe, you know, not being able to go out and hunt and stuff like that. So I think slowly over time, we're starting to see the effects on society of taking out the claws, you know, spiritual claws, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to ramble. Thank you. Oh, I've, I've got a few thoughts about that immediately getting to this idea of the, the metropolitan area where you go on a camping trip specifically leaving civilization as far as you can it might be a 20 minute trip to a, a kia campground which is enough for you because there's a few trees and you can set up a tent and you can pretend to kind of camp and kind of rough it a little bit which is to say there's this idea of that that show sex in the city and the idea of city being a babylon place and that's a sinful area because people are now comfortable so they can sit around and have recreational sex which is to say now they're chasing tail and that dopamine hit so john mitchell historian he writes about this the idea of the fathers and the founders the founding fathers of cities where they will measure the land and they'll mark the four corners of their city to do the city planning and then they'll put up walls so you got babylon you got nimrod all these patriarchal figures in the bible who are talking about different tribes building their cities their city states and building up to now now we have governments and federal governments and layers and layers of this politicking which is quite different from just you know building a nice little community to settle down in but now everything seems to be urban sprawl so you have a metropolitan area a center of activity of commerce of education and then from there you've got levels of that urban sprawl where it just goes on and on and on and then there's nothing and then it's flyover country until you get to the next city so when man is building these these limitations these cities expand, these limitations, they become more onerous and neglected with the result that in the language of the apocalypse, the city becomes Babylon. So the parasitic horror, the horror of Babylon, this is getting into the biblical language, talking about this belief in the element of the Rome. You have Rome being a very powerful civilization and you have Roman warriors and then you have these ideas of the expansion around or beyond the original city boundaries. So there's this breach of the foundation contract where Rome was like, we got to conquer everything. We have to control everything. We have to build up this metropolitan area. And then in doing so, you've got the idea of, well, we're going to have this industrial revolution. So men are going to leave their properties, leave their homes, leave their apartment buildings. It became an apartment that they would leave to go work in a factory 
for another man. And now when men would go into the cities, they would decide, well, okay, the jobs are in the cities. We'll do that. So they went along with the culture. And then they began to not marry women and to begin to have a disposable income. So then in 1994, some guy notices this and begins to write about the rise of the metrosexual being a man who lives in a metropolitan area who begins to groom himself in such a way. And we're talking Mars and Venus and you know Venus being maybe like a beauty product or a razor blade where women are removing hair. Now, men are beginning to be conscious of hair on their bodies and their eyebrows and are they balding or not can they get that filled in and cosmetic surgeries and working out at the gym and becoming very cosmopolitan and then in you know 2002 you have david beckham some soccer player who's posing like a model in all these magazines wearing the the least amount of clothing possible and his re, his reaction is you know i don't care who is looking at my pictures and enjoying my physique. I don't care if it's man or woman. He didn't care. He was getting into this aspect of this metrosexuality and becoming a role model for other men who then become very um, not understanding why women were looking at them and thinking, ha ha ha, you kind of a joke you you know i'm ready to settle down but you're a man concerned about his collections his funko pops his beanie babies his video games his cars all of these material possessions and yet you don't have a wife you don't have a home now you're just living in the city and now you've lost your purpose so then you fall into the nihilism and then you have all these movies like american psycho where the man becomes a serial killer or something to be feared and women are afraid of this type of figure because this man he's not into taking care of the land raising the animals providing things so the his, his purpose has been taken away and that gets back to the idea of the nanny state or the big brother or you know it's 2023 i don't want to be a wage slave don't want to work at walmart just wait it out a few more months universal basic income's on the way they're going to give me a disability i have social anxiety uh, you know i have all these diagnoses so i can accept social security or universal basic income or food stamps or whatever it is well now are you even more attractive to a woman is 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 this a situation you find yourself in and now you're having all these questions about well what is my purpose and i, I i'm not getting the dopamine fix because i'm not getting matches on the dating apps and now i'm not providing for anybody so now i'm just in an existential crisis but there's that new crisis game it's the new first person shooter the new call of duty i can enact all these simulations through a computer because I'm really good at it. And then the final thought being, well, today a wizard is a pejorative. It's the 40-year-old soy boy man-child who builds his own computer, can program it, can put on you know, anime wallpapers and really rice it up and make it real nice. But then that impresses no one. And then that person is just drinking Mountain Dew, energy drinks, and then dopamine levels deplete 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 and then this person just like well i guess uh there's no hope i'm gonna go to the rope see you later world bye bye crew world
and they give up and they wonder why. That's a big problem in Japan too. They even have like a forest where people go to commit suicide because they don't have a purpose. And on the other end of that, uh, Japan has popularized forest bathing as a maybe a therapeutic um, solution to this, which maybe is going back to the stewardship principle that, you know, losing touch with, with Mm -hmm. this maternal nature uh, and being in this city, which is so devoid of any, um, you know, like not being able to touch grass and dirt and soil, it really changes your entire, the entire ecosystem within you the concrete jungle and yes. it's interesting that you will need to leave civilization get out of there to then end your own life because in the nanny state you go to a bridge and you start climbing up there's cameras everywhere they're going to pull you down because you are the responsibility now now to be kept alive yeah right? you're not even allowed to do that <laughs> right you don't have the right to take your life in the nanny state it, it's out on the farm the only people that ever take their life are people that lose the farm and they would rather hang them hang it up like that is more competent than 90 that dude was more competent than 99 percent of the people in the city he just refused to go live that fucking life he's like no i'd rather hang it up like i could live in an apartment have a job all that crap screw that i'd rather dangle like that that that's why farmers hang it up like we can't handle that life in the first place <laughs> free ball and let it dangle yep yeah so two of the concept of honor like in uh the yeah. samurai culture they would do that if it meant to if they had to somehow preserve their honor sometimes they would do things like that and how often do you ever hear about people talk about honor today <laughs> you know it's uh really kind of lost a it's fullness well, because they because they've tried to kill pride too without with the yeah. two things are very hand in hand yeah. the only time men say honor is when they're saying your honor i wasn't <laughs> drunk i did not have sexual re- relations with that woman <laughs> like they, they've done such a slaughtering of pride and showed the negative side of pride but the mm-hmm. the fact is is like like them guys with the chainsaws. That guy went home proud as a peacock. He just did something competent, useful, helped somebody. He told his wife he was happy about that all damn night. You probably made it probably made his week. That's why they appeared out of nowhere like magic. Like you take that you take that away. Uh, now you got nothing. You got no eye. And with with the pride comes the honor. Like I'm I'm the dude that's gonna do the right thing. Cause I'm proud and I'm proud of the way I am and proud of who I am. Like they just turn everybody into dirt balls. It, it's really horrible. And that MGTOW, that's like the, uh, the um, answer to the toxic feminine feminine side. And it's not a good answer. Uh, it's not a bad answer. Uh, men need to stop chasing women and need to start making women be women if you're not going to be, and this is, but in, and I understand where they're coming from. I went through my hermit phase and in my, and when I transitioned to being with Christy, if Christy wasn't the proper loving mother type, I wouldn't have wanted anything to do with her. I always said, Oh no, my life's awesome. Me and my dog are enjoying the shit out of it. Get the hell out of here. 
Like we already have our own home, unless it's a loving mother that's going to bring this energy into our home. That's the thing that we want. We don't want nothing else. And then the women, because where these girls have turned into just sluts that the only thing that they believe that their position is for is just to have sex. And then they throw that around everywhere because it's their whole value. Well, we kind of did that as a society where men sit around watching porn, telling women that this is what we want out of women. And when men started really getting into that, well, women are like, all right, then I'll be a whore. You want a whore? I'll be a whore. And, and so we, we need to get back to being what we're supposed to be as men and not accepting uh, any less out of women than what a proper man deserves. But that whole MGTOW thing, she's just gay. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, 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 I got to say, I think everybody should at least try MGTOW for a week. I right. think there's, there is something redeeming with, about putting your toe in all of those dark, seedy corners, but don't get drawn right. in. Don't Whoa. get drawn can in. You kinda, yeah. Can you explain this? Because I'm not familiar with this. It's uh, men going their own way. So it's it's a group of uh, silly, silly nanny men, boys, that have noticed that, and they don't. They have a valid point that in court and things like that, women have all the power in our country. That uh, if a woman decides that she wants to have the baby, she can have the baby. If she wants to kill the baby, she can kill the baby. You have no say. If she decides she wants to keep the baby. She can decide whether you ever get to see that baby or not and whether you're going to pay for the rest of your life or not. Um, she can decide, you know, and in and, and, and the recent past, we've seen a huge move in society where women don't take care of their kids. Uh, they will find a dude that is actually a decent dude that uh, uh, will take care of a family and go out and work. They'll go ahead and hook up with him, punch out a couple kids, and then move in some dirt bag and ha and have this dirt bag boning her all up in this dude's house until he breaks up with her, and then she just sucks off the whole money off of his child support. And you know the child support system in this very feminized court system's like, dude, don't need nothing. She, every penny he makes goes to her. It, it's insane. So the Meg tells the answer to that that they're just like. Well, we're just staying away from women entirely. It's kind of a, yeah. but then you find out what, and I understand again, like the her, it kind of parallels going as a hermit and refusing to be, bring somebody into my life until they were the proper person, right. but it, it parallels it. It's yeah. also not quite right. Like yeah. Gabe said, it's a dark corner. It is a now dark corner. The, there are two really good terms to like kind of wrap your head around everybody. Uh, or the public focuses a lot on uh, phallogocentrism, and that is that the whole world revolves around the cock. But what MGTOW is bringing to light is gynocentrism. And just, and like I said, like you don't want to get in there too deep, but you got to lend an ear and you got to hear the other side of the argument. And this is actually where the term red pill originated from. There was a documentary, uh, I forget what year, uh, pre-Trump, uh, that came out where a woman was going to infiltrate the men's rights movement, which is different. Men's rights movement is different from MGTOW. MGTOW is like more extreme. Men's rights a little more centric. 
she was going to infiltrate and try to debunk them. Like, oh, you think that men don't have rights? Well, she actually lended a sympathetic ear, and the next thing you know, she, her whole intention turned on a dime, and she ended up making her documentary, which was called The Red Pill, about men's rights. And that is the original intention of the red pill. A lot of these pills start off meaning one thing, and then the the public gets a hold of it, and they reappropriate it into really crazy ways. And I was actually offended when I found out that, wait a second, red pill doesn't mean shit about Donald Trump. It doesn't mean shit about Donald Trump. What are you people talking about? So uh, I just want to bring it back to the roots, because it's important to know the roots. Fascinating. Yeah, that's so the original. I did not know that. Fascinating. Right. Isn't it? Doesn't it kind of change everything when you learn the context of a thing and you're like, oh, well, that's that's something I could kind of maybe look into a little more. Yeah. And the, and the and, red and pill, should, like Gabe said, the, the like, red pill became a metaphor out of the Matrix movie. Of course, blue pill, blue balls. Sure. OK. Red pill. Mm, masculine energy. Good. And then these men begin to organize into message boards. But then when they go to Reddit, which is the front page of the Internet, owned by China now after all these years, not realizing all the sock puppet accounts and fake accounts posting fake replies. This is like the AI bot takeover situation. So Red Reddit, people go there the red pill subreddit, which becomes sort of this place where people are discussing these ideas. And as the the women and the other uh, cultural factors in, they're like, these are bad ideas. These are toxic ideas. We can't allow them on our ad uh, supported platform. Advertisers don't like this stuff. So we're going to take them. So then they shut them up. And then they put them into these splinter cell groups, basically put them underground, the dark web. And they're like, well, you're the, the incel, you're the celibate, you're the involuntary celibate. So you're the incel. And now you are a threat to our democracy, meaning our getting along. Like we're all getting along. And then these, these violent incels are just with their ideas and they're just so angry. And, and then, you know, they're, blamed for shooting events, active shooter events in different places. So they're made into this boogeyman to be feared. And now women are like, oh man, that guy, that guy, he might be an insult. I shouldn't date him because he's gonna he's he might have a gun. He might he might be armed. He might have a side piece. So now you have men's rights activists and the right to bear arms and all these masculine ideas all jumble into a, a personality that they can say is that's that's a skinhead white nationalist incel that's that's the scum of the earth we don't want them in our cosmopolitan utopian 15 minute smart city no that's dangerous <laughs> isn't it crazy how there's always a manifesto how the fuck is there always a manifesto? What the fuck? Who Gabe, is have you ever read a womanesto? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I've not, but I know that feminist is an uh, anagram for manifest. <laughs> manifest ah! destiny. You know, ah! this, this might be a good time to bring up the catcher in the rye, because isn't that very phrase about 
uh, mechanism. Uh, yeah, the the man who tried to kill a president, John Hinckley. Yeah, I think yeah. he's a musician now. And he had a lot of copies of that book or something, but but the yeah. mechanism of the catcher is like there's something. I guess it sorts the seed, mm-hmm. and so there's a catcher for the rye seeds, and then if it's not a rye seed, the chaff gets thrown out, right? Yeah. So I think the whole the book title itself is kind of loaded, <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, yeah but, good point. Um, it's like a threshing floor for separating the sheep yeah. from the wolves. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that book itself was kind of like a bellwether of sorts, which bellwether is neutered lead sheep. <laughs> Interesting word, I guess, to use. But um, I think it's kind of like a symptom of society, you know. Um, that's a very angsty youth. And uh, I think that's why it's so popular with a lot of boys growing up is because they can relate to this, this guy. And isn't the character like fixated on sex and things yeah, like that? There's an interesting parallel to eyes, eyes wide shut because Holden Caulfield has this encounter with a prostitute, much like Tom, Tom oh, Cruise has uh, his encounter with Domino. Yes, yeah. But they're they're both kind of leading to this castration. Like they don't get it on. They don't really like get anywhere. In fact, like things get much much worse after this encounter. Uh, it ends for the the absolute worst, I guess. So it's yeah, it's interesting that this angst is yeah directly correlated to this yeah. uh, excess sexual energy that's not being expressed properly. Um, mm-hmm. Like and, a man and, should. And interesting that you mentioned Tom. Cruise, who's probably cruising around for who knows what, right? And there's uh, the idea that he's the <laughs> male role model on the big screen, and he's in Top Gun, or is he a bottom? It's confused. And then in the movie Magnolia, he plays this sort of uh, men's rights activist, pickup artist, uh, motivational speaker, where he talks about you know don't put pussy on the pedestal, and that's his whole message is he don't put pussy on the pedestal. And then it's like, well, what else are you gonna say? you know what are the fruits of your labor in the rest of your life and that's like a three-hour movie and it goes on and on and it's too artsy fartsy and you, you're a man so you're not going to sit down on a couch for that long to finish a movie so just don't even watch it but you know tom cruise right you see the role model i always thought pussy on the pedestal came from 40 year old virgin so thank you for teaching me something new tonight yeah <laughs> right right it's good to know the, the the root of that um i think that uh there was a inversion put into the king. And so if you look that uh, what, what is called the classic king um, uh, archetype where the king sits back at like a little bitch, that was a Roman thing. That was not something that heathen armies did. Your heathen armies, them were the biggest, baddest dudes. Like if you were at the head of the, if that dude was at the head of a heathen army, you did not want to play with him. It, bad plan. Like he was the most competent guy on that field, and he didn't sit back and let everybody else do his work for him. The king did the most work, and he was the most competent. Not only because I, I live like a king, like where I'm in command of my entire land, and. I know how to do every job everybody else does, including when Christy moved in, I was already, I know how to cook. I know how to do all my own laundry, all those kind of things. I know how to do all those things. 
I'm competent at every single thing. So when you look at, and that's the way a king should be, part of why you're able to lead is because you know. Now, the warrior, the warrior is, again, I like where Gabe went with the, uh, I like where Gabe went with the uh, Mars and uh, Deadpool and being scarred. And that is, again, I like where you guys went with that. The reason that Christy's able to be who she is and be soft is because I'm fucking hard and nothing and nothing gets to her that that is i am the hard line and so that is the warrior archetype the magician archetype again i i agree with what you guys saying is able to utilize resources uh in magical ways and at the end of the day no matter how hard i am out there i am the lover when i go in and and christy needs that sensitive side and i need that sensitive side that is also part of it. And that's able to be expressed because I've done the other things. Um, so I, to me, the King is always, uh, they've, they, there's been a real inversion and that's uh, the tarot even is not that old. Even the Sola Busca deck is not particularly old. And you look at the uh, pre 1000 where Rome basically owned everything. The King was not that, that dude that we're exposed to now, not that primp primped up little bitch. It's a dude that his whole life trained to become the leader and caretaker of his people. So that that's an entirely different thing. I really enjoy the men are from Mars and women are from Venus thing. Uh, that's part of my presentation. When you look at that, uh, I that's the heart center. And the Mars ties alchemically to iron. And what iron is doing is it's drawing in oxygen. Iron automatically pulls oxygen and it pushes hydrogen. So what oxygen is doing in your blood is it's the warrior. When something needs broken down, that's what oxygen is doing. When you eat food, the you're trying to get that food down to the sugars and the minerals. Everything else is carbon and cellular material. You're going to take and get that carbon out. And then you're going to poop out that cellular material. Uh, when I do an extraction, like when I'm doing uh, turning uh, uh, a basic thing into an alcohol, the yeast in there is just farting out carbon like mad. It's called a carbon lock. And it lets in, you don't want oxygen in there because then mold will grow, but carbon is continually being released out of that system. So you can get down to the good stuff and it fills that area and you can put a lock on that lets air go one way and not the other way. So the carbon can go out and the oxygen not go in. Nonetheless, this oxygen is doing this vehicle work of carrying away the carbon. Even when you get down to uh, glucose, glucose needs to be turned into ATP. So that way it's not stable and your body is able to uh, attach it. It can't attach stable particles. It needs to destabilize it. And that carbon molecule was in there stabilizing it. So just like when you're decarbolating cannabis, where cannabis, when you pick it off the plant and eat it, it won't be psychoactive. You need to decarbolate it, which means get rid of that little carbon molecule. And now it's unstable. And it's like, oh, let me attach to your cannabinoid receptor. Bling, good times. And so the, everything works that way. Um so that carbon is doing a very specific job on the flip side. Women is the 
Venus, which is tied to copper, which in your heart then is it's pulling in hydrogen and pushing out oxygen. And so what the hydrogen's doing is after the oxygen has broken this shit down into something useful, has separated all the wheat from the chaff, and we just have that like little glucose molecule. Well, now it needs something to be able to transition in, be incorporated. And that's where hydrogen comes in. Hydrogen allows that transition and allows it to be incorporated into your system. So women are for togetherness. Everybody come together. Everybody love, incorporate. And so this is very much the feminine side of things. And through the polarity of the two things is where you're getting your actual heart power going is through the polarity of those things, because inside that polarity, even though they're opposites, even though I'm the opposite of Christy, it's through the union of these two opposites where we're working together, even though we're doing the opposite thing, that the whole thing is fucking beautiful and it works. Hey, I have a question. Do you have children, Ben? Uh, seven. Wow, that's awesome, dude. So I was hoping seven grandkids, you, too. I was hoping you and John could talk about that because I was just thinking, like, I think that's also part of what is maybe missing from our society is how if you don't have a child, it's like you don't. I think if I had a child, I would be I could have I would kill for a child you see what I mean but like without that I don't have that mm -hmm. and then that's replaced instead the like well you'll die for your country or whatever you know so I think by sometimes robbing us of the filial connections and love they then try to replace that with the nanny and nanny state and old grandpa joe biden and it's like well you'll die for grandpa joe biden and <laughs> but really what we should be willing to die for is our wife our children those sorts of things and yeah. so can you guys maybe comment on like where you did you notice something that just inherently changed when you had a child like something more protective developed or anything like that maybe like that divine masculine go. aspect he has, he has not spoken i will go after john for me, it was a change. As soon as you look into your child's eyes, you either accept it and go with it and you'll either do anything for it that you can and you'd even die for it or you're going to run from it. And for me, it was just, it's a beautiful, how could you not want to be part of that? I think that everybody should experience at least having one kid yeah, that's the ritual or rite of initiation I just haven't had yet. So I, I, I'm envious in a way of you guys. All in due time, brother. And men can now, in fact, uh, oh yeah, have children. <laughs> so that that's an opportunity for for men to bear children. They don't even have to miss <laughs> out right now. It was super interesting. So, uh. My uh, ex-wife got pregnant with our uh, with my first child. Our first child. We were high school uh, sweethearts. Um, <clears throat> we were sixteen and having unprotected sex. You know the good stuff. And uh, uh, she got pregnant, and this was in nineteen ninety one. So, or maybe early ninety two. Yeah, it must have been early ninety two because she was born in December. So. Um, 
the abortion issue and the women's right issue was uh, something that was in every school. Every school speech was about it. Like fucking every debate topic. Uh, it was it was abortion, women's rights, and AIDS. You know, every school had the the AIDS dude that rat came out and told you how everybody on the planet was going to have AIDS within two years because AIDS dudes were going to start sleeping with girls and then they were going to give it to you even if you weren't gay and all that nonsense. Um, Propaganda. Yeah, yeah. So when uh, Diane got pregnant. And I had not, uh, you know, we were stupid kids. And even though we've been dating for a while, a couple of years, I think it's, you know, your kids, you don't stop and uh, look at the morale, morality and uh, what the person wants in life so much. You're just like, oh, she touches my penis. It's good. She's pretty. And, you know, like, so uh, when she got pregnant, yeah. I had nightmares. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Like that's the that's the entire thought process. Uh, so I had nightmares when she got pregnant, and uh, about her having an abortion. I had a nightmare about I broke it. It's one I don't even dream ever, or if I do, I don't remember it. Um, and I broke into an abortion clinic where she was like laying on the table, and there was doctors there, and I looked in the trash can. And I know this isn't how they do it, but like, you know, it's my fucking like 16 year old dream. Right. And there's my baby in a trash can and I just start murking everything in that fucking room. Oh. like the nurses, everybody just like you all fucking die. And uh, ever since then. And again, this is this is the same with my farm. Again, it's called husbandry for a reason. You take on this position where the things you chose like every animal on this farm is here because I chose it to be here. Mm. And when that child came, that's because I chose to start acting, even though I wasn't a man. And I took the responsibility. My dad didn't pay for my fucking my child, even though I was 16. I worked 80 hours a week. I worked an overnight shift and went to high school. Like, fuck that. But you take as a man, you take and decide you're going to do something like bring a woman into your home then you had best be able to be a man and take care of her the way a woman's supposed to be taken care of to provide her with the situation that she needs to live in. And then further, when you start bringing in children and animals, that just compounds the entire situation entirely. And so you just best up your damn game. And I honestly think that the, the later children is part of society where it's more it's like a peter pan syndrome because i was 16 and i was working two jobs and having kids and i and yeah that was that was pretty young but where i where i'm from most people i know don't have kids by the time they're 21 22 they've already got one and they're acting like adults my my oldest daughter um she's 30 she has uh you know she has her own home she has a couple kids uh, you know, she's married, you know, the whole classic, uh, American life. My son, he's got two houses, uh, a couple kids. He's getting ready to get married. He's, he didn't get married yet. Well, he was married. He got divorced. He's getting ready to get remarried. Um, only my kids that are 18 don't have kids. Like, 
Uh, so I think that that's a thing where you just don't take the responsibility. You don't, you end up with this very Peter Pan syndrome with it where you never have to do that. And men, we thrive on that shit. Like what, where I understand what a woman might be traumatized in her and, and have to go through like TR TMRE or whatever the fuck. And, 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 and she's going to like, you know, be totally the patriarchy and hate men forever. If somebody threw her in the pool, but that's where men rise. When you put, as an alchemist, when you put fire to the feminine side, the feminine side flees. It runs. It vaporizes and it's gone. When you put fire to the salt side, that's what makes the masculine side come together. That's what makes the masculine side become the masculine side. And so we need that fire. You need to throw us in the pool. I just want to say I'm I'm thankful uh one day back in 2022, I was talking to Gabe. We were planning to do uh, a fun show about Dante's Inferno. Speaking of fire and how the Inferno is then leading to the purgatory and you where you purge all this nonsense that's going to be baggage on your climb up to this mountain of purgatory. And then, you know, ultimately you're descending to the heavenly bodies, the uh, celestial spheres. And I love that idea that you have to burn away like in the alchemical sense. That's awesome, Ben. Yeah, that's like spot on right there for sure. That's absolutely perfect for Nigrado. And it releases you from the world's shit and you become a real man. I'm a real boy. You know, there's something interesting about Peter Pan too. You know, I, I know we've been going on for quite a while and I, I uh, want to get into the Book of Five Rings maybe as... um a way to orient a solution as our conclusion uh, using the wisdom of these five uh, weapons. And, you know, but quickly on Captain Captain Hook and Peter Pan, you know, again, Jordan Peterson was a big influence for me in 2018. And, uh, you know, I've been kind of shedding this uh, persona that I've maybe built up around him being like a fanboy. Um, and I'll be honest, he's helped me a lot to see the mythological structure that weaves throughout narratives um, in our in our modern culture and in our ancient past. But one thing that I really liked was when he was talking about Peter Pan, there were a couple different um, cool points he was making. One was about, uh, you know, I'll just start small, like Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell was the uh, proverbial fairy of porn that was constantly distracting Peter Pan and keeping him in this uh, infantile state. And, you know, it was eventually like it was either, all right, you got to choose Tinkerbell or a real woman, Wendy. Like, where, where are you going to go, Peter Pan? What are you going to choose? Which which direction, Western man? And now uh, he's looking up to like, what is he going to become in the future? And as Jordan Peterson says, he's like, well, who the hell wants to become Captain Hook? He's being chased around by this fucking alligator who's tortured and absolutely um he is in the grips of Saturn himself, you know, time in this alligator's <laughs> clock. Like he is, who wants to be Captain Hook when you're an adult? So might as well stay a child forever, you know? So, uh, I really liked how he uh, framed all that. And I'm glad you brought up Peter Pan because I, th I think that's an excellent way to uh, look at this nanny state. What do you guys think? I think I would be very cautious of talking to any Disney adults who are hashtag adulting. If we're looking for solutions, yeah, for real. the people that show up offering solutions 
are oftentimes the grifters, the snakehole salesmen, the opportunists. So to have the the wisdom and the patience to know what is an offer and to know to actively refuse all offers. If it's an offer of sex, hey, hand job, hey, whatever, hey, you, uh, like that, that's an offer. And as a man, you say, no, no, I don't need this honey trap in my life right now. Don't need this Tinkerbell. I don't want any uh, stripper glitter on me, you know, that sort of thing. You need to be able to say no to those temptations and not be considered a prude or a moralist or some some strange frigid person. No, these are self boundaries. is the devil. <laughs> don't even believe in the Who devil. cares what they think anyways, right? Well, it's the peer pressure thing. So the solutions are, you know, positive peer pressure, which is to say there's six of us together having this discussion. So maybe your goal is to become a bit of a leader in your peer group to say, hey, guys, if we can be the iron that sharpens the iron, the, the iron here, if we can help each other out. Right. Not every not every guy's going to do that. A lot of guys are going to flake out. But to hang out with people with the intention of let's let's be consistent here, you know, maybe start a band, whatever, do something, get a hobby, work together. And that's a question a lot of people ask, a lot of guys ask, hey, what's the problem, man? I'm out of college. I'm I'm at a place where I don't have any friends. I don't have any male friends. Well, how do you make friendships and relationships? A job site, you work together, volunteer have an active uh, goal that you can achieve together and by working side by side, then you build relationships, you see value in this person, they see value in you, and now you're separating the wheat from the chaff. So I think that's a good solution to start with. Right on. And I know Joshua brought up this uh, ritual and, you know, you're saying it sounded kind of, kind of funny. Um, I want to share that I've, gone through the same thing. I was led up this mountain at a YMCA sleepaway camp, blindfolded with a rope to guide me. And oh, it yeah. wasn't necessarily just this, this rope, but it was the the people behind me and in front of me. And we were uh, moving as one unit and we were guiding each other. And I think that's uh, a cool symbol in the fact that like, we're going to climb this proverbial mountain together and you have to depend on the person in front of you you have to depend on yourself to not trip and fall and ruin it for everyone else but at the same time you know it's uh definitely a brotherhood it's a it, it takes a village to uh, make this all ha happen so it was a cool ritual for that purpose um of you know being uh having the humility to put your faith and your trust into your fellow man and your you know your neighbors and your brothers and your uh, you know, the other men around you who are going to guide you and lead you to where you need to go. Um, but of course, you know, taking the personal responsibility for yourself. So I'm glad you brought that up earlier, Josh. And I appreciate the uh, sentiment, Alan. It's really, uh, it's it's powerful to be able to have shared projects and shared um, missions that we can um, yeah, make and the world to better. Yeah, and to be fully transparent, that's why we're all meeting regularly in these Zoom rooms, building a conversation and community together, finding solutions, finding problems, defining them, 
and then expanding our consciousness by expanding our vocabulary and expanding our, our stories, asking each other, well, what was it like for you? And combining our wisdom together. So again, 2023 might be difficult, might be a scary world out there. You might not even have a car or a driver's license. You know, people are like, oh, join a Discord server, play a game together, play World of Warcraft, join a guild. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe just take the Jake Loco route and start a podcast. Definitely cured my depression, I can tell you that. And I met some pretty cool folks along the way. So, you know, thankful for you guys. And, uh, you know, Gabe, I want to give you the uh, opportunity because you brought up the Book of Five Rings in our Telegram chat before while we were planning this out. I think that was you, right? That was, uh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I definitely want to hear you out on that um, because I personally haven't been able to read it, but I know... Um, I've said this to you before, any kind of like, uh, what's it called? Any like retweets are not, uh, what's the word? Any promotion that you have, you know, any uh, recommendation? Not an an endorsement. An endorsement. Thank you. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, Gabe, what do you think about the Book of Five Rings? Uh, It's a a fabulous study on strategy. You know, that I had a hardcore Japanese martial arts phase uh, in my younger days uh, I used to go up on rooftops and play ghost dog and do fucking parkour samurai sessions. And one night I fucking was doing a badass move. It was a cool ass move, but I cracked my fucking skull on the back of my head and uh, hard, hard. And I go, I go home in a daze and the next morning I come out and there's a blood trail. And I realized that I was a fucking bad ninja, man. Bad ninja. Anybody could attract me that night. It was a bad thing. But uh, uh, but one thing that is fascinating is that these books, The Art of War, uh, you know, has 13 chapters. That's a lunar nod, you know. Uh, and corporate executives, they proliferate the wisdom in these books. And so, you know, we're, we are in a spiritual war, and it is foundational to know the strategy of your opponent. And the Book of Five Rings, likewise. In uh, the Book of Five Rings, is uh, it's a shorter read. It's uh, more concise. It gets right to the fucking point. It's no bullshit. Um, but uh, one thing that's kind of neat is, you know, we were talking about the King, Lover, Magi, Warrior. Well, those are elemental. You know, I have I was taking notes as we were talking about it, and... You know, the king is earth. It's a land claim. The lover is water. It's a vessel. It's receptive. The magi, at first I thought was wind, but I'm more inclined to think that the magi is fire. And uh, the warrior will be wind. Um, And those are actually, it's kind of neat because the book of the five rings is the book of water, the book of earth, the book of wind, the book of fire. And the last book is the book of the void. And that is, some would say, the spirit or the mind or the soul, you know, the the fifth element. So the all-mother. The all-mother. The all-mother. The Nungabat. Yeah. Hail, hail. Yes. Life's essence. Yeah. yeah. And so these are universal. You know, this is rooted in Japan. But these things are universal. And we know that the executives study these things. And so it's very, it's very uh, uh, prescient that we gain mastery of these systems as well. And uh, something that occurred to me late in life, years after I had walked away from the sword, the sword play, that five rings, that's the path of Venus. 
The kiss of Venus generates a five-petaled spirographic lotus every eight years. And uh, uh, I can never say his name right, uh, Musashi Miyamoto. He repeats in the book, study these things uh, intensively. Like, like, you think you got this on the first try, but nah, son, nah. You want to go back, you want to reread it again. Once you get more mature, you get more context, you get more perspective. And sure enough, it was like 20 years after my first read, I come back and I'm like, five rings is the path of Venus. And it took me half my life to even realize that the magic of this stuff is universal. Uh, and so, yeah, I just thought I would throw that in the mix, you know, that we've already kind of come through the four aspects uh, and the culmination is in the void, you know, in the stillness and the silence. And, you know, spirit. that's uh, in the spirit. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, yeah, I thought I would maybe throw that all on the in the mix. I, uh, it's a it's a good book. I recommend it. Uh, and if you've already read it once, go back, get some more, give it another give it another world. Right on. Yeah, Josh, you said you had a, a question for Gabriel. Yeah, I I've read some of that book. So what I can remember, one of the aspects is, aren't you supposed to finish the first ring before you move to the second ring? And some of those things might also include like you would have to master a sword in one hand or two hands before you get to master it in one hand, a piece or something like that. I, I just remember there was actually practical um, exercises like, like you had to master certain things before you were allowed to move on to something else. And I just think that that is a good um, uh, like discipline, disciplinary type attitude to have. Like not very often are we taught that like in school, for instance, you're just taught to regurgitate information and become a mindless drone. You know, you're not really taught, taught how to achieve things <laughs> or how to build upon your successes and skills like that. Maybe could you expand on that anymore? Like, were you able to gain any inspirations like that, for instance? Because that's really the takeaway for me is I remember sitting in the bookstore on the floor reading it. <laughs> I never bought it, but I did sit there and read it. Uh, well, yes. One thing that it, uh, I do know that his school evolved eventually to have like um, a, a very select uh, few were able to uh, be accepted into his level of, of, of stewardship or teaching. Um, but one thing that it helped me with is like uh, spiritualizing the concepts of these elements. And, you know, knowing about uh, how the heat of the moment, how f when you're in the fire and your, your passions are burning, that it's in fact breath. It's in fact air that you that you need to uh, so that you're not flustered. And so then, I, you know, we think of uh, air elements and wind elements, but that is just as simple as breathe, breathe. And then you gain you have control of the fire and what direction it's going to flow. You know, and these elemental things are like they're so rich and they're so deep. And with age, you gain more and more command and you recognize them in another person you can see the other person's fire and you can console them and guide them and give them direction and 
and another thing about the two swords that was unique to him he was he was like kind of i don't know stigmatized as being kind of rogue for uh <clears throat> for for not being a two two-handed overhead as the first uh fundamental and that's really fascinating too uh because he was he had followed the rules long enough that he knew when to break them and that like was breaking paradigms in his day and you know people were making a big fuss over it uh but he was he had gained mastery enough to be able to break the rules um and i'll just and i'll throw this out too if you actually look at the dialogue from a princess bride from the sword fight the famous sword fighting scene where he's like well, what are you smiling about? I know something you do not know. Oh, yeah, what is that? I'm not left-handed. And the music changes, and he goes left-handed, and the, everything shifts. Well, if you actually look up the the dialogue they're having, and you actually study the schools of swordsmanship that they're talking about, you'll find out that in swordcraft, uh, all around the world, everybody was using an overhand overhand technique fighting up high and somebody came along and they were like you know what the last thing they expect is for you to come from down low and so this this is like the underdogs started to study the underhanded tricks and uh in uh this was in japan this was the ninjas um, but i'm getting all over the place uh but yeah once you gain mastery of what the rules are uh at a certain point in your life then you know how to break them uh, to take advantage of and do what is not expected. Get me going. I'll go all night talking about Thank solar you. play. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Do you think this kind of relates to the idea of, you know, some people might say it's not worth your time or energy looking at, world events from a conspiratorial lens or putting symbolism together or trying to connect dots because what's the point but then you kind of think like well if you study your enemy then you're becoming more uh you're becoming a greater warrior that's to put it in simple terms right so maybe like, uh there is yeah, something to all this i like that a lot yeah you know i hear um not not to harp on anybody, but I hear Sam Tripoli say, I don't think they're that smart. I don't think they're that smart. I don't, I don't give them enough credit, but uh, I would retort very politely. I love Sam. I totally love Sam, but I would retort with, you know, um, I want my enemy to be the best fucking enemy I could ever choose. And if they're not that smart, then they're not worthy of my Kung Fu. And so I'm always uh, keeping myself sharp by not underestimating my opponent. Well said, well said. And I, I think that's a perfect way to, uh, well, Balderson, what were you going to say? Because I saw you just unmuted yourself. I don't want to wrap us up while we're and still I was uh, just going to say that I think that uh, I think where Sam is kind of mistaken, I've actually been kind of impressed with Sam lately. Uh, but where Sam's, uh, I think, slightly mistaken is the public figureheads that we see definitely are not that smart. Definitely. Yes. But there is somebody, some chess master behind the scenes 
that knows that a scorpion, like the tail of the scorpion and the frog, isn't to tell you the ta- that the scorpion is evil. It's to know a thing for what it is and put it in its place. And some brilliant motherfucker put Joe Biden in his place in order to get the reactions from the public that Joe Biden is drawing. So there is some fucking chess master back there who does know. That's what's up. Obama. Well, as we look across this uh, very complex game board and, you know, we're all looking at how we fit into this grand strategy. I think uh, it's safe to say that we've shared a lot of strategy tonight that we can all benefit from. And anyone listening, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we're going to be able to make masculinity divine again and perhaps preserve some beauty and truth and goodness that may have been lost in this uh, industrial revolution. So, um, Ballison, do you want to start? Uh, let's go around and maybe give our our last well, our last well wishes, a final thought, maybe a final piece of advice for men out there or ladies who are looking to support, um, you know, this uh, this future, uh, this this flourishing of, um, you know, divinity that is within all of us that, you know, what, what can we do? What can we say? And how can we uh, leave people on the highest note possible? Met the, in essence, the true masculine is to do. And so if you, if we as a society want to start becoming more masculine, we need to quit worrying about what everybody else is doing. I don't think about anybody else's approval when I go out and do things around my farm and I start doing projects, I go do what I do. And if it works, it works. And that's what men do. We need to start being more being about it. We need, if you want to be respected for your thoughts as a man, you need to live them. Nobody gives a shit what you say. Truly, they don't. It's when you live something, that's when they pay attention. Love you guys. Amen, brother. Love you too, Baldy. John, what do you think, my friend? Couldn't have said it better than uh, my brother Balderson. Basically, I think that we as men need to take more actions and stop seeking approval from others. We need to just blaze our own trail and see where it takes us. Let our spirit be the guide. And I appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate you, brother. It was cool meeting you tonight. I'm glad you were able to share. Thank you, brother. We should do it again. Hey, Gabriel. What would you say to close things out? What 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 kind of gravy do you still have left over? There's always still gas in our tank, right? There's always <laughs> totally, still gas. Totally. You know, uh, I guess one hanging chad that I had uh, in my notes here was uh, uh, a lot of us know about Gloria Steinem at this point. A lot of us know that she was admittedly by her own words on the payroll with the CIA rubbing elbows with the journalists who covered up the assassination of MLK. We know, we know all of this, but I want to maybe, I want to get a little more incendiary with it. And I want to point out how, what Gloria Steinem did by telling, you know, not only that doubling the, the tax revenue for the man by sending women into the workforce, but sending women into the military 
to that degree with with her mentality. I want people to think of how that rhymes with the rite of prima nocta and how the old kings put out a decree into the populace telling them that if you want to get married, then the duchy of your territory gets to fuck your wife on your wedding night. And I want you to think about Gloria Steinem sending women out into the workforce, sending women into the military, actually was a modern-day version of the rite of prima nocta. I think we should get maybe a little more aggressive with pointing our fingers. I think we should point out how this, nice. this how this shit rhymes with legitimate fucking evil from the olden medieval days. So they want to get medieval, let's get fucking medieval. And then I'm, I'm going to put that hanging chat aside. You can spread that wildfire all you like. Uh, and the, the last thing I wanted to point out is uh, I think uh, myself, you know, one thing I'm doing is I'm facing a lot of this darkness. I'm looking right into the abyss. I'm having a good old fucking time with it. I'm fucking studying Nietzsche, nihilism. Who is dark? It's scary. It's awesome. It's fucking hardcore. But something that uh, has occurred to me while I'm having fun with all that, um, I've started to fast. And uh, I find, Father, <laughs> you're going to get toxoplasmosis, bro. <laughs> uh, but uh, I've, uh, I've started to fast periodically, and I'm doing it with baby steps. You know, don't go diving head first into anything. This is not medical advice. But, um, you know, uh, uh, one aspect of masculinity in, in the aspect of the void, that fifth ring, is when not to. And if you are obedient to your urges, you are an animal. And you don't have that claim to the higher compulsion and command over yourself. And so you can't go around telling other people how to do things if you can't even control your own self. And so I find fasting to be a really powerful um, uh, an empowering practice. And then it, this is also can in some cases be done not only with food, but with your words. And, you know, uh, one day of a vow of silence, it'll, it could serve you well in, a, in the heat of the moment when you've got to bite your fucking tongue sometime. So that's another, that's another thing to self-empower. So I just pass that gem forward. Well said. Well said. Wow, you guys blow my mind tonight. I love it. That was that was like three, four, five recommendations, and you took two of mine. I was going to say the paradox of, you know, what is, what advice would you offer? And I was well, the, the paradox is, you know, I, I wouldn't offer any advice. I wouldn't offer unsolicited advice. I wouldn't go around telling people, you know, you're wrong about this. But actually, here's the facts, and I'm going to correct you on this because I know so much. You know, let your words be few, be slow to anger, and listen a lot more. Observe, be more observant, and then see how other people are reacting to you and, and be more socially aware of what's going around you. If you keep your, your eyes on the ground and you're not seeing what's happening you you're just you're stuck in the mud you're not going anywhere 
So part of making progress is by listening. So in a workplace or an environment where there's other people, you're socializing, you know, it's better to be liked than to be correct. So just zip your lip, listen, and allow other people to explain their character to you. And then when it's necessary, you can open up a little bit, but be a mystery. Be a bit of a mystery and embrace the mystery of not knowing. You don't have to know everything to get started and do something. It's a good way to travel the uh, eternal void for sure. Embrace the mystery. Right on, my friend. Joshua, what do you think? How would you like to wrap things up? Well, I'd just like to first say I'm glad my dad didn't wrap it up or I wouldn't be here with you all right now. So thank you to my dad. And uh, <clears throat> I would just like to say that like, it, while listening to this, if you have been thinking of men in your life that you think embody these traits or qualities, then take a moment sometime to recognize those things. Because sure, maybe, you know, a lot of praise isn't effective in some ways, uh, like we mentioned earlier. But I think sometimes it's we don't even know something's there to recognize so like by just having awareness brought to something you know like who in your life might be a good positive male role model maybe let them know hey i really appreciate the beacon that you are and i can see that you're having an effect on you know the young people so if you just know somebody that's a dad thank them Hey, thank you for not being a POS <laughs> and raising your child. And, you know, so just recognizing those things and learning to build up those strengths and others, because I think that that's really what is so we're talking about the void a minute ago. I think that's what's really contributing to the void uh, today is this lack of divine masculine uh, it reminds me of like the egyptian creation story where autumn he's in the abyss you know and and mastering it and carving out creation and stuff like that and i think that when you don't have that you know you do lose that creative thing that's probably why we're not seeing anything i know there's nothing new under the sun as they say but i think that's part of also why we're not really seeing anything new these days i mean movies are copies of copies and everything's just a remanufactured version of itself because there's no that divine masculine there is not creating you know the juices aren't flowing so if you see a creative male thank him for embodying that if you see a, a male being a good role model to somebody and playing basketball with kids or whatever you know thank them for being uh, a good steward in, in, in the community, you know, to these children, because those folks are going to grow up one day. And if they didn't have good role models, then, I mean, you know, that could, those kids growing up fatherless in a sense, in terms of the role not being there, that could lead to your community not being safe in 10, 15 years from now, you know? So I think that a little bit of time that we spend now, doing these things can be large have a large impact rather um and, and we really shouldn't uh underestimate that 
So I, I just would say that if you've been inspired or recognize any of these elements and people, you know, and, and inspired by it, take the time out to thank them or maybe just share with them what you were listening to share the podcast with them, you know, just say, Hey, this reminded me of you, you know, maybe that could give a man some solidarity. Maybe he's at the end of his rope and now he feels some camaraderie with six random men. He listens to on the internet about this topic, you know? So, um, there's a bit of a crisis, I think, in, a, in our society at large and in the, men in the world. But uh, I think that there's hope. After all, that's the hero's journey, right? So there's always that crisis period of time and when the odds are kind of stacked against you. And, you know, I, I feel like our children are really the future right now. And uh, the best thing that we can be doing is, you know, imparting those values to them. So, Pull out a book, share some of the old stories with your children, the hero stories, the, you know, the Havamal, the Bible, whatever it might be. Just be sure to sow these seeds in these children so that when they grow up, they'll have some type of anchor, uh, you know, like it, like with that rope in the woods and the blindfold, you know, that, that rope, if you didn't have that rope, you know, you could get off the path, you know? So I don't want to get all like preachy, but that would be my takeaway is like the role model thing I think is really what I'm leaving with this evening. And I'm going to try to, you know, my goal this week is going to try to do that for somebody, like let them know, Hey, I really, I can see the effect you're having on the world. Thank you for, thank you for that. Thank you guys. This has been awesome. And, uh, as I, uh, kind of think to myself, I'm, I'm assuming I'm the youngest here, you know, I should be the one who's uh, shutting up and listening the most, uh, but, you know, as a way of wrapping this up and kind of putting my money where my mouth is proverbially, like my message is really just, I want to show you guys what I've created. So I'm going to end on a quick story. This is a quick Twitter thread that I put together in preparation for uh, this chat. I was very inspired all week about, um, you know, certain themes. So here's my weave on Aladdin. Remember the classic story of the genie in the bottle? A young mischievous degenerate named Aladdin, accompanied by his pet monkey Abu, explores a mysterious cave containing a powerful generative tool capable of granting Aladdin his heart's desire. A guardian of this cave of wonders explains a simple straightforward warning to Aladdin and Abu. Do not under any circumstances, touch anything in the cave, only the magic lamp. Sounds easy. Of course, as any monkey would, Abu cannot resist the temptation. Abu succumbed to his monkey mind by grasping for a large jewel. And the hubris of this impulsivity sets off a trap and the cave collapses, pushing Aladdin into further danger and jeopardizing their entire mission. Impulse control is the key here. And clearly, the monkey mind's lustful greed stands in the way of Aladdin securing the most valuable treasure known to man. Genius and genie both trace back to Latin roots similar to Genesis, meaning to give birth, to generate, and to procreate. Everyone is a genius. Each individual contains the spark of infinity and divinity. And our inner genie is our innate talents, gifts, and passions. So to wrap it up, what's the lesson? Feed your inner genie. 
release it from the monkey mind, do whatever lights up your soul, tap into that flow state energy and create, just keep on creating, create, create, create. So I want to thank you gentlemen for creating this wonderful weave. Uh, we've done quite a lot tonight, the six of us. And I just want to thank each and every one of you and anyone listening right now. Uh, I appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Um, and I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. Cheers, y'all. Ratatusker. Ratatusker. Shalom. Shalom. Ratatusker. <laughs>